Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We're here on the Oz Network to wrap up Back to the Future or the past. Uh, We're wrapping up the past and the future all at the same time uh, as we're going all the way back to 1990, which was going all the way back to 1985, which is going all the way back to 1955, which is going all the way back to 1885. We're covering so many time periods as we're going to cover Back to the Future Part 3, the end of maybe the greatest single trilogy in movie history or up there with Star Wars, I guess. Uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd and Thomas F. Wilson and, and ZZ Leah Top. Thompson, ZZ Top, and oh, of course, Mary Steenburgen uh, for the first time ever in Back to the Future. Uh, and this is um, the Western one, in case anybody <laughs> forgets what it is. Uh, the cowboy one, uh, the one where... Christopher Lloyd finally gets laid. <laughs> that's the important. That's what that's what's on his resume now. Christopher Lloyd got laid May 25th, 1990. Uh, my name is Colin, and what kind of stupid name is that? And my name is Ben. I'm a fine piece of calico, and you peed on me. <laughs> There's not really many quotes uh, in this one, is there? Oh, I completely disagree. I, Buford alone is the quote machine in this movie. Yeah. Uh, that, that this is the one that I'm excited. I, again, I, not that I wasn't excited last week. I think that all three of the movies kind of stand on their own. They all have a different feel to them. Uh, they all tie in together perfectly. This is the one that I believe to be like the best comedy of the trilogy. It is the funniest. Uh, it's also probably just the most all around fun. I mean, they, they kind of did away with a lot of the complica- complicated plot stuff in part two. And of course, as we talked about last week, I mean, this was originally conceived as one very, very massive sequel. They're like, ah, we're going to have to cut a lot of this stuff out. And they're like, well, why don't you just make the Western stuff a whole movie as opposed to just the last act of the movie? And like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that, which started this trend of let's do two movies once, although uh, technically the, what, the three Musketeers, four Musketeers in the 70s and Superman 1 and 2 attempted that. But uh, this is where it actually was successful, doing two sequels at the same time uh, and... Uh, unlike a lot of these other movies like Kill Bill or um, I guess even the Matrix movies, they didn't film these at the same time. They literally filmed them. They finished part two and then went right into part three, although there's like one scene that was filmed during the shooting of part two. Uh, but uh, that, I remember that being a big deal. Like when, when two was coming out, there was all this talk about part three is going to be coming out within six months. And uh, of course, we, we only briefly touched last week. They had that trailer right at the end of part two, which... Uh, what they've talked about in interviews, it came down to the fact that like people aren't necessarily going to accept the downer ending where there's not like some type of wrapped up in a neat package. Uh, the the story's resolved and it's happy. Uh, like this is not necessarily a happy ending. So let's just use what footage we have, put together a quick trailer just so that people know we got some fun stuff to come. It, it's going to have a happy ending. Don't worry about that. Um, hello, Jamie. 
she, she has something to say here. Do you have something to say? Do I need to mute it? Oh, she needs to quickly check with me on something. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give my opinion, shall I? Or shall we pause? What do we do here? Oh, no, this is Well, live. let's see. We're, we're picking out Lightning McQueen cars for Remy. I don't know if you can see those. Oh, yeah. we got a red, a blue. Uh, is that red. a gold? Always red. Well, we've got like three reds. So what's the question? Blue Lightning McQueen. Shiny red one, though. Oh, a shiny red one. Well, Shut we don't have shiny red. I think well. this one. I think this one is too plain. I think That's this... too plain. You're right. Yeah. Uh, the, this one, the silver one looks like wow. a DeLorean, so yes to that. This is like a smaller version of that Jeez. big one. Okay, make a judgment call. Uh, I'm so glad people are tuned into this because episode. I think they're fine, Jamie. Yes, I think this... You always tell me the you want stuff. You buy three of them, it's $21. I I, I concur. Uh, I agree, Jamie. It's, it's yep, Remy would love it. And so I would think Remy's going to be for it. Yep. Now, if he listens to this podcast, he's going to know when things are going for Christmas. <sighs> Anyways. Back Jeez. to the Future 3. That was my favorite part uh, of Back to the Future 3 when the Lightning was, McQueen yes. decision had to happen. <laughs> Couldn't get enough of it. But uh, I did get to see this in theaters like I did with Part 2. Uh, I didn't get to see it like 10 times like the other ones. Um, I, I remember enjoying it. I don't remember having like full-bledged full, full bled obsession, full-fledged obsession right, with red. it. Uh, but uh, this has always sort of been the one that, uh, the way that you talk about Part 2, you're like, oh, it's so underrated. I always like to defend this. That's why I feel about three. And I feel like both two and three, I mean, people like, love them. It's just, they don't love them to the same extent as part one. And there's always sort of that debate of, is two or three better? I'm kind of on the team, I think, after this, uh, that it is three just for how fun it is all around. Yeah, I mean, I don't, and my history is the same as it's been the first two weeks. Got the DVD box set, watched them all in one night, nothing new to add there. But yeah, like I, I of, of all of them, the third was always the least favorite. And I mean, you'll see that in my rankings, but I don't dislike it. Um, and I think kind of in your point, it is maybe the most complete trilogy, I mean, outside of the original Star Wars. But, I mean, the argument is now there is no such thing as the original Star Wars. It's, I mean, there yeah. is, but, like, I mean, as in there's not just three Star Wars movies. I mean, there's now nine of them. Well, 11 of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, like, this is the maybe the most complete trilogy that is still a trilogy uh, yeah. out there. But, yeah, I think everything you said is I agree with. I mean, I always like this more and more to watch it. And this is the one that makes me sad because it's ending and like it's one of these mm. trilogies that ends in a way where you're satisfied it's, it's like it's like when Jurassic Park ends the first one like I always get sad towards the end because I'm like oh it's mm. over and it's like oh I love this movie I just want to watch it again like it's just you know you're really enjoying it when you've got that feeling and like but the end by the time you've got Doc and the creepy kid pointing at his dick like I'm I'm sad. I'm like, oh, the trilogy's over. What are we? And I guess the difference of this is that we never know what happens to Marty after this. Like, this is a, an well, actual do ending. We? Well, maybe. I mean, well, well, talk about a little bit more on the end, but there was the Back to the Future game, uh, which came out, what, 2010, 2011? Like an and then there was series as well. The animated series, which continues part on part three. It's got Jules Verne, it's got Claire in it, it's got the train uh, and all that, but uh, it, it has Christopher Lloyd. Uh, yeah, you know, he actually I, appears live action and animated, but I, I uh, vaguely still, it's not continuity of the, the original. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's just one of these ones where it's like, you know, and as we've firmly said, we, we never want to see this happen again. But um, I, I got a, I, when I tweeted out about Back to the Future 2 last week that we'd released it, I tweeted out saying, oh, underrated sequel, don't at me. And then our good friend LA Lad Undercover or LA Dundercover, however you say their name, uh, replied saying, can I at you that you're right? So uh, there is a bit of love out there for it. And I think that it's, 
Yeah, I, uh, the one thing I will say, though, is I don't really see hatred for 2 or 3 either. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I think I was watching a bit of the Everything Wrong with Part 3 last night. And, yeah, he definitely rips into it a lot more than the other ones. But th- this is not like, you know, when we did the Terminators, for example, Terminator 3 didn't really get a lot of love until 4, 5, and 6 came out, you know. like And, yeah. and there are other movies that we've talked about that haven't gotten the love until later on, you know. Whereas I feel that Back to the Future has never really gotten hate for its sequels. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. they're not as beloved as the original. But I still think, as I've said throughout all these weeks, that if you didn't know these weren't planned, you would assume that they were because it just it, it's a solid bookend. They all work together. They're fun. Yeah, they're repetitive, but that's the joke. Um, like I don't, that's one complaint I see about people. Oh, they're just the same movie. Yeah, they are. All sequels are the same movies, as I keep saying. And that's the joke. The whole waking up every single time. The McFly, don't call me. Like, that's just the joke. It's funny. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a fun film. And um, I I never used to like Mary uh, Steinberg in this movie. She's annoying me. But now I've realised I was an idiot. I don't know. I just didn't like her. But now I love her. She's great. She's Will Ferrell's mum. <laughs> uh, she's Ted Danson's wife. Doc Brown's wife. Yes. Um she well, gets around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, she's the only real new addition to the cast. I mean, yeah, we got some side characters with like Buford's got a new gang, just like Biff and Griff had their own gangs and all that. And uh, yeah, no, uh, Billy there's, Zane. Uh, no Billy Zane. We got like the, the, the bar crew, the saloon crew, but those are all minor characters. But uh, when they were writing this movie, they wrote it specifically for her. And I mean, she, I don't know how famous she was. I think she'd gotten an Oscar nomination prior say, to She won an out. Oscar or she got nominated? Uh, yeah, no, sir. She won Supporting Actress in 1980 from mm. called Melvin and Howard. I thought she'd won one. Uh, but like when you go through filmography, I mean, it's not like she was, you know, A-list actress. She was, she was respected actor. Uh, and of course, this is coming out like the year after Parenthood, which might've been like the first, uh, I guess, mainstream film that she did. The Parenthood with like Steve Martin and, Keanu Reeves and uh, a million other people. Uh, but she had actually done a time travel movie prior to this. We, we referenced in the first one, there was this movie called Time After Time, mm. uh, which was a Christopher Reeve uh, movie where he's playing like, um, I think he's actually playing H.G. Wells in it or something like that. But uh, in that movie, she's she's in it. So this isn't even the first time she's done a time travel movie. Uh, but she had also worked with Christopher Lloyd too. And, and her, her first movie, the one that she did just before that, a movie called Going South, which was Jack Nicholson movie, that Christopher uh, Christopher Lloyd was also in. So she already knew Christopher Lloyd, but when they wrote this, they wrote it specifically for her. And the, the way they tell the story is like, they they were like, we don't know what we're going to do. Like, we don't have a backup choice. If she says no, like, we, we don't know, we may just scrap the character. And then she was saying like, as soon as they were offered it to her, she's like, yeah, my kids got me into these movies and I love them. So as soon as they said, do you want to do Back to the Future 3? It's like, of course I was going to do this. And she kind of joked, she's like, I don't know why they were like, thought that I might have turned this down like I was above it or something she's like but I feel kind of honored that like I was their only choice for this and that it was like it, it was it was me or bust um but uh uh she does obviously add a lot to the movie it's, it's a it's a love interest it's something we, we haven't actually done I was at it like George and Lorraine in the first one uh but uh, uh so much of the other stuff in this movie I like one of the things that I love is just the energy and the comedy like obviously the comedy I think has increased here from what it was in part two uh, but just the the energy, like there, there's almost like a, a parody aspect to it. Mm. Uh, a lot of the back and forth dialogue, especially in like the early 1955 scenes. But then the other part is just them wanting to do a Western. I don't feel like they ever tried to make this, oh, this is just a comedy Western. You're like Ghostbusters, 
it's not a horror comedy. It is just a, a comedy that deals with ghosts. Whereas this, they're like, we're going to set out to make a Western movie. And if you've ever seen any of the Westerns, like this belongs there. I think it was even Steven Spielberg who said, if you take the time travel aspect out of this, this stands up there as like some of the best Westerns ever made, which I think is one of the, the cool things about it. It does also stick out a little bit like a sore thumb compared to the first two, which are heavily time travel movies. You visit multiple time periods and all that. Whereas this, to, to me, this almost makes me feel a little bit let down that we never got a four and a five, at least in the right time. I'm not saying go back to a four or five now. This is over. It's done. Zemeckis and Gale have said they will never do it again. Uh, but this sort of opens the door up. It's like, imagine all the different stories you could have told just saying, we're going to have them go back in time to the old West. Now we're going to have them go back in time to like uh, ancient Egyptian times, you yeah. know, uh, it would have gotten tired pretty quick, but this is the only time in the entire trilogy where they're like, let's just do something for fun and see what they would do if they were in this time period, which became more of the thing in the, the short live animated series they did where it's like every week, one of the, I think the best episodes they did with the Salem witch trials. They actually did an episode there, but like, you couldn't have lasted long with the series doing it like that. But it still is fun that we got at least one experience of them just doing something just for the sake of explore this different time period. Yeah, I. It is one of those things that you know, like it had had I discovered the Back to the Future movies and they'd done six of them or something like that, you know, it'd be a different feeling. Like, yeah, you could have mm -hmm. done this, but it's definitely one of these ones that you would have need to have kept doing, um, you know, in the in the early '90s into the late '90s. Like, this isn't a legacy sequel that I think that you could have revisited 20, 30 years later, and that's. Obviously, we know with Michael J. Fox, with his health, um, you know, Christopher, old, Christopher, old, Christopher Lloyd was oldish <laughs> during these, and he's obviously quite old now. And I think that that's it's the dyna dynamic, dynamic nature of the chemistry of these people. I mean, it's I was talking about this with you or Noah recently, that it's kind of sometimes certain things have to stay a certain era because it's also it's our, it's our vision of them. You know, like, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm as big as fan of Dumb and Dumber as there is, and we're going to obviously be talking about that next year. And Dumb and Dumber 2 wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it also wasn't brilliant. And it did nowhere near capture the essence or the magic of the first one because Jim Carrey and... Um, uh, why am I going blank on his name? Jeff Daniels. Thank you. Oh, my God. Sorry, Jeff Daniels. It's <laughs> not the most offensive thing I've done today. Uh, Jeff Daniels were older and just not quite the same, and it's just... You know, so there's that. But it's also, yeah, like this is something that would get a bit tiresome over the time. Like yeah. it's it's not a it's not a Star Wars where you can expand the lore through an entire galaxy, you know. It's not Marvel, DC, even James Bond, like even Jurassic World. It's not where you can really expand a lot more of it. It's just it's two people travelling and then you just get a bit contradictory in yourself, which I feel it does a little bit in this movie with Doc's sort of uh, you know, viewpoint on time travel in the first one compared to this one. But then, yeah, then it just becomes like, a, you know, we're going to have just like little Jules and Vern in the future in like Egyptian times. Oops, I knocked over the Sphinx, lol. Um, like, <laughs> oh, whoop, awkward, awkward. <laughs> Hitler didn't take his suicide. Oh, no, what's going on? Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> like, I could just see it would just go into like really weird territory there. So, yeah, I mean, there, I, I've never really thought about it that way, that this is a movie where there's not a lot of time travel, but... I like the way I've never really watched Westerns. It's kind of like maybe they're with horror films where it's sort of like, I'm not opposed to them. It's just, they've never really sat in my, Oh cool. I really want to watch a Western movie today. I really want to watch a horror movie today. It's just never really been my wheelhouse, but I see the appeal of both genres and I kind of like this and look at it and go, well, that's kind of cool. 
this, I mean, the, the one Western piece of media that I absolutely love is Red Dead Redemption. And this just makes mm. me want to play Red Dead Redemption, which, again, if no one's ever played Red Dead Redemption, it's Grand Theft Auto in the Wild West. It's fantastic. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's you're right. It's fun. It's just, it's just, it's check your brain out. You could almost watch this without watching the first two. Obviously, watching the yeah. first two helps. Um, but I also think that, you know, you could watch this without the first two and still kind of get the gist of it. And both Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd are having fun. Like, you know, there's that, that famous bit there where they kind of switch their lines around. The great Scott, this is heavy. Mm-hmm. Like just little moments like that. And then even at the end when they're like saying goodbye to each other, it's just, you feel the emotion of it. And you, but the best thing is they mm-hmm. still remain friends like 40 years later. Yeah. So it's still, still good. There's a happy ending. Uh, as far as everybody having fun, I mean, when you see interviews that read, they, they all say like, this was probably their favorite of the movies to work on. Bob Gale said it was the most fun he had on any set that they'd ever done. Uh, and uh, with the the thing about Doc kind of being contradictory to the character he was in the first few, that was intentional. I mean, when they set out to do these two movies, they wanted to do a story arc for both Doc and Marty because I, I guess Doc has a bit of a story arc in the first one. Like, am I going to spoil my future to save my life? Uh, but that's sort of buried underneath the whole George and Lorraine thing. Uh, whereas uh, what we got introduced to in the second one was Doc being very adamant about, you know, we're messing with the space-time continuum and then Marty with the don't call me chicken or whatever. Uh, and it's it's little things they do. Those, those again, are small parts of this movie. But when we get to this one, I feel like that little part of the movie really takes off because of how good Christopher Lloyd plays those scenes where he is making foolish decisions. And he's saying, I don't want to go back to the future. And And... I almost want to pick it apart as plot holes, but I'm like, but this is sort of just showing this is what this smart, Gross. logical scientist, it, but it, this is a guy who's never been in love before. All of a sudden his brain's clouded, you know? Well, uh, so it, it's it's kind of fun. Which, which, I mean, in all fairness, you wouldn't know this, uh, but like, <laughs> that's what happens. Love clouds your judgment. And it like, it, 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 that's truth. You meet someone and you've got the most logical mindset of everything. And then all of a sudden, that's what happens in life. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty accurate depiction of what happens when you fall in love. Colin will experience it one day. I, I will say there is one plot hole that I, not a logic hole. Uh, I'm like, even Doc has got to be smarter than this. We'll get to it. But which let's I jump never, into the movie. When we done the movie, and I'm sorry, I just I never realized. Like I think this was the first time I ever realized that Doc actually gets laid. I thought Doc just kisses yeah. her, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> click this time around. Wait a minute, he didn't go home the night before. Like. Yeah. And then the look on his face. 1885. Like, I mean, I thought, you know, they were a bit more conservative back then, but maybe I need to get a time machine. A lot easier. If we'd only had ZZ (laughs) Top in the background, I'm walking on sunshine. Whoa. Light bulb moment this time around, because I've always loved the bit. I know I'm jumping ahead here, but like, I love the bit in the fair when they've got the spinning drums. And I've always loved that. I've always loved that thing. And it finally clicked. I'm like, that's double back. Like it oh, is, yeah. I never realized that's ZZ Top. Like I didn't realize <laughs> that until now. I've seen this movie probably like fifty times. Well done, Ben. It, it probably helps they have like the special edition soundtrack that came out a couple of years ago, like the thirtieth edition. I think that I includes that. the bonus track, which is like acoustic double back, and that's what it is. Is the da, 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 and da, I'm da, on da, board da, with da, double back. I never used to be a double yeah. back fan. I'm like, well, that's no Huey Lewis and the News. But now oh, I'm I like, mean, it's not. This might be my favorite soundtrack, like because I, I just love the really? score of this one. I just love that Western oh. sound. That's what I love, and I, you know, I love the scores of the first two. They're amazing, but like, there's just something. 
like the second one doesn't really have its own unique score. It's kind of just the first score, but expanded. Whereas it's very this one, tension music. It's almost like a Jaws score. <laughs> yeah, where I, where I really love that. Um, like there's just something about the score in this one. And the I'm really, I'm a double back man now. That sounds really wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the score, you can't beat the themes from the yeah. first movie. I mean, those sure. are iconic themes, but we kind of had this discussion. We did the Jurassic Park movies. I'm like, Jurassic Park theme is unbeatable. But if you take that entire score as a whole, it doesn't hold a candle to how good the score of The Lost World is. Oh, Lost and that's kind of the way I feel about Back to the Future 1 to 3. 3 is the best Alan score. The entire train sequence at the end is maybe the oh. best music Alan Silvestri ever composed. It's just Agreed. unbelievable. And even the, the opening music, we get into the movie here, like these opening credits right after we recap the end of the first one on Back from the Future. Uh, this 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 quiet music that's playing uh, as he's bring him home during the rain and all that like it's just a nice little theme. Can I sorry I keep interrupting. I'm I'm like a kid. I'm putting my hand up this time around though. Um, but <laughs> you know what it reminds me of, and this is a, a really weird comparison, but I hope you know where I'm going with this. I think it's the second Mighty Ducks movie when Gordon Bombay gets off the bus and you've got that real solemn mu- music and it's like Jan picks him up instead of Han because Han's not in the second one. Like it just. It's got that weird vibe of it where they're kind of like, it's sort of the same mood. You know, when like sequels have the same mood as the original yeah. and sometimes they shift away from it. This has got the same mood as the first two. So when he's in the car and he's going back to his house and you got all the credits, it's just, it's got a different feel, but it's the same, the same, but different. Mm-hmm. And like, it just, it weirdly reminds me of Mighty Ducks too. That's such <laughs> a weird comparison, but I've always liked that moment when Gordon Bombay gets off the bus and it's raining and he's like, oh, welcome home. It's good to be home. Cause you, you've got a bit of like, oh, there he is. He's back. There's Gordon. Oh, back for some more mischief, you little scallywag. Like there he is. Oh, I don't know. Sorry. Just. I when you first started back. saying that, I'm like, I don't know where you're going with this. But as you start describing the scenes, like, I can see, I can see where you're getting there. Get in the game. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh, Colin's dying, dying, by the way. I don't know if it's COVID yet or not, Bob. <laughs> Gordon will always be like, oh, God, I forgot. Oh, we need that T-shirt. <laughs> we got to make it. Uh, anyways, yeah. So he brings him home in the rain. Uh, you, you, you get the same pan across Doc 1955's lab. You see all the, the inventor's pictures on the wall, which were kind of visible in the background in the first movie. This is just like going around his house with the clocks and all of his uh, contraptions and everything. The TV turns on. This wakes him up. It's howdy doody time. time. It's howdy doody time. And Doc's like, howdy doody time. <laughs> <laughs> which that's a real he show, made, right? I, like, I mean, I'm obviously oh, not yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it, I, I, I guess it was like, I guess famous for being maybe the one of the first big TV hits. Like this would have been like, you know, morning television for children, but it was like, this was a phenomenon, like the first big children's television show, which is the puppet. Uh, That's what he went round up. It's kind of based on. Yeah. Uh, But then doc getting his tape recorder. He's talking about, Oh, uh, everything with the experiment was a complete success. The lightning hit the clock tower. And then as he starts to, uh, after that, after that, he pulls the tape recorder away and he continues to go on his monologue, but he's not even holding it anywhere near his mouth. Uh, but uh, he's basically, you know, telling the story. It's like, I, I have a vision where I saw Marty coming back, seeing he's back from the future. Oh, the, and he, Marty's in the background. Now. I just love how relaxed Michael J. Fox is now. Like time travels. This has been like a week of his life. And he's like, oh, whatever. He's checking out the newspaper. Oh, let's see the scores. Oh, the Rangers. Yeah, well, well I guess there's no Penguins yet. Who am I going to be following? <laughs> Definitely no Kings. Did LA have a team back here? Uh, and then he's just like, hey, Doc. And then he just turns around and he freaks out. He slips on the hoverboard. And this is so, so that some of that energy I was saying that like the other two movies don't necessarily have. When he lands on the organ mm. and is playing like, dun, dun, so dun, dun. Good. <laughs> it's so brilliant. Cool. And then he's basically, it's a repeat of the, the first movie where he's uh, refusing to believe him and he locks himself in the bathroom. 
And I always had, for every reason, I just love this back and forth they have, especially Michael G. Fox's delivery, that I almost have the dialogue memorized when he's saying, Doc's basically locking himself in the room saying, you aren't here, uh, it's impossible that you are here, and I refuse to believe you even are here, and he locks the door, and then Marty's like, I am here, and it does make sense. And then he goes with this, like, really rambling monologue where he's like, uh, uh, I uh, uh, I came back from 1955 with you. That is the you from 1985 because we have to get a book fact from Biff. And once we got the book fact from Biff, we had the, uh, the you, that is the you from 1985. We're in the DeLorean, got struck by lightning, got sent back to 1885. <laughs> <laughs> and then Doc's like, oh, then how how could you even know about this? And you sent me a letter. Then we get another, some of this energy, like there's this fun energy where he starts reading the letter and then the camera pans up and you just see his mouth magnifying the magnifying yeah. glass. It's so great. They explain the plot uh, hole. They explain that little plot hole that I was trying to point out last week. It's not a plot hole. With the how does how which does one? The, when I said, well, how does he go back in time? How does the lightning hit the DeLorean and he doesn't hit eighty eight miles an hour? And he explains oh, here. Yeah. So like I clearly I remembered that this was explained in the third one. So uh, I didn't even remember. Yeah. yeah. So they that that isn't a plot hole last week. Well done, Bob and Rob. Um, you you <laughs> that is not a plot hole. Well done. I'm sure Ladder and Cover's already called you out by the time uh, <laughs> we've recorded this episode. I'm missing that last week. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, he's reading the the letter, and I love where he just sort of stops, like, "Oh, I always wanted to go back to 1885." He's all excited by this, and then as he's finishing the letter, and he's basically saying, "I'm happy here. I just want you to repair it with uh, the 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 counterpart. That's me." He almost says it with this attitude, 1955 counterpart, and then he even asks about uh, take care of Einstein. He goes, "Einstein? <laughs> That's your dog in 1985." He rolls his eyes like. What am I thinking? Name it after Einstein. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the way it kind of ends where it's like this nice, nice thing. It's like, you've been a true friend, Marty, or whatever. And they're both sharing. I never regret something so moving. And I know it's beautiful. Doc. <laughs> uh, the next scene, they're uh, going to find where he buried the DeLorean. And uh, he's talking about how this reminds him of uh, Jules Verne. So that's the first mention of Jules Verne in the movie. And Journey to the Center of the Earth. They even find his initials written on there. Uh, I, I, I mentioned last week that like this movie is kind of what got me into years later starting to read jules verne books i've read journey to the center of the earth i've read um from the earth i don't i don't know if I, I, there was a sequel to from, from the earth and when i read it I didn't read that one but um uh and then Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea i'd rank in my top three books probably of all time uh, i absolutely love be? uh mutiny on the bounty is my number one book of all time and then my number three it would probably be uh the, you know you remember john grisham right not personally but i know of him yeah. all of his books were big they, the, he made a book called the rainmaker which they made a movie of with matt damon it was like matt damon's breakthrough movie the movie was okay but the book was just amazing those are probably my top three books of all time there you go um you learn something new every day ben what are your three favorite books of all time oh jurassic park would be on there um, and the other two are dr seuss right Probably, I, I, my mine, <laughs> mine would be autobiographies or nonfiction. I mean, I've always been a more of a nonfiction reader. If I went stories, Jurassic Park, probably Tomorrow When the War Began, um, and honestly, like this probably sounds silly, you're gonna laugh at me, but probably like something like Bridget Jones' Diary. I actually love that book. Like it was fucking brilliant. If you read it, like it's better than the movie. Um, so I used to read that a lot as a kid. <laughs> Once I saw the movie, well, kid, I was a teenager. But um, but I don't really read a lot of fiction, so it's hard for me to you kind don't of say. Yeah, I'm more of a nonfiction guy. I'm definitely a nonfiction I, book reader. I, I can't mock you too much. That that was my mom. My mom, uh, she would read like three or four books a week. Like uh, her room was just stacks and stacks of books, but she only read true crime stuff mm. and maybe the occasional biography. The only fiction book she read, I think, 
uh, in the last 20 years she was alive was Jurassic Park. She mm. she read Jurassic Park and then she's like, wow, what a great book. And she's like, I'm going back to my nonfiction. I just, I just, I'm a big fan of reading, yeah, bi or biographies or autobiographies. I just, I love, like, it's sort of, you know, I, I like documentaries. And I mean, at the moment, I read all the James Bond books and now sort of my mm. little period now, I've got a whole bunch of nonfiction books on my shelf. I just read uh, a book I bought in Canada, the a big sports writer in Toronto, uh, written about the Raptors his entire career, kind of wrote about the history of the Raptors leading into their championship year. It was very good. Uh, I'm reading a book right now, the top 20 greatest Australian sporting moments of the 21st century. It's pretty good. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, I just, I like reading nonfiction. So shoot me, Colin. Shoot me in the back I'm not on Monday at 7 a.m. <laughs> 8 a.m. I um, sleep in. Uh, so anyways, they dig up the, uh, the the DeLorean buried behind here. And I love when they're in there and they're uh, reading the, the, the schematics or whatever. Marty can't pronounce schematics. Yeah. Uh, and then Doc's looking at Look at this. Of course it failed. It was just made in Japan. And then Marty's like, all the best stuff's made in Japan. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, as it loaded in 1955, because it's what, 10 years removed from a wall when everybody hated Japan. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Time period jokes that people probably wouldn't get now. Uh, but uh, uh, when they're loading up the DeLorean and Marty's going to try to find Copernicus, we we didn't even talk about the dogs that much in the, the, first, uh, the first movie. Copernicus and Einstein... As as a kid, I'm I'm not joking. I thought that they were the same dog, and so he just I. decided to change the name. Yeah, yeah, because he even says, and maybe part of it is because what Marty says that's what you call your dog in 1985. That's not what you call your new dog. Mm. They look the same, so I assumed, oh, this dog lived for 30 years, and he changed the name from no, Copernicus. I, I, I would be the same. Which I mean, again, I'm dumb on science. Who's Copernicus in terms of the science world? He was an astronomer. Okay, cool. All right, good to know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but that ties in perfectly with Clara in this movie. Um, so anyways, he's, he goes to bring Copernicus past who's stuck at the, a gravestone and, and really good, like uh reveal that Zemeckis has here where Marty looks at the tombstone and the audience sees it when he looks at it. And then he walks away and he's like, wait a second. Cause you see the doc's names on there and he calls for doc. And I love when he's reading it, you know, uh, shot in the back, uh, or that, that's when they read the newspaper, but, uh, whatever the date is, 1885. Uh, and he's like, that's, that's a week after you wrote the letter. And then doctor, Marty, don't stand there. <laughs> yeah. I love that. As he's too. standing right on it. They take a picture of it. They go to the library. Again, Doc loves breaking into libraries. <laughs> His B&Es of libraries. <laughs> you could just wait till it opens. They have a time machine. <laughs> Why can't you wait till morning? Uh, but this is where they're reading the article about, uh, uh, you know, shot in the back by Buford Tannen over a matter of $80 or whatever. Uh, what kind of future do you call that? Uh, and um, they find the picture here, or I guess the first half of the picture of Doc at the clock tower. Uh, the unveiling of the clock tower, which they're going to get the other picture taken out later. Uh, and uh, this is where he's asking him, are you sure there's not any of the Doc Browns that were, or there are no other Browns that were here at that time? And he says, oh, my family didn't immigrate here until, you know, whatever year. And then they were the Von Brauns, which is a, a nod. I don't know if you'd get this, uh, to famous uh, rocket scientist Warner Von Braun, who was basically God. the main, the main, this is the main guy that, that built NASA. When the war ended, Still. they brought German scientists over and that's how the Americans oh, got to space. Oppenheimer? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was no Bond Bronze in that. That, that was Mads Mikkelsen, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that, was, uh, uh, that was Indiana Jones. Sorry, wrong one. Yeah, well, they're all Nazis, right? <laughs> and Von Braun was a Nazi. But of course, it's okay to to use the Nazis as long as you're using them for American pride in the space race. Well, before, before um, they started killing Jewish people and doing all that sort of stuff, they were fine. We know that. We've gone over this before. Of course, nothing bad ever happened in the first war. Uh, no. <laughs> well, we also did talk about what, what was that movie, the, the, the one that got nominated for Best Picture last year. 
That one. Oh, on the Western that one, Front. Oh, quite on the Western Front. Yeah. yeah. It's like, ah, oh, that movie kind of shows like, yeah, they, they weren't like, it wasn't all their fault. There was definitely some issues on both sides there. Anyways, now we're going to get into German politics here. Uh, <laughs> Ben's getting defensive about the Germans I'm here. I'm going there next year, so I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> I'll ask them. Hey, guys, what do you think of Hitler? Do you think that did that go down well on the streets of Germany in 2024? Probably not. <laughs> Uh, Marty basically says that uh, as soon as we get the DeLorean repaired, I'm going back to 1885 and I'm bringing you home. Uh, next shot, we're immediately... I, I always forget how quick the 1955 stuff goes mm. when they hear it. It's, it's like 15 minutes of the movie, and I kind of always look at it like last week, the the three acts. You have the 2015 is the first third of the movie, and then 1985, and then the 1955 again. This is over and done with, and it's 1885 for the entire movie. Uh, but when I have to drive in here and Marty's basically saying like, oh, I'm trying to put on this costume, but the boots don't fit. And <laughs> he says, uh, uh, what's wrong, Marty? Have you never seen a Western? And Marty comes out with like this pink getup that's got, I don't know if you noticed, it's like the atomic symbol on it too. Yeah. And these boots, Clint Eastwood never wore anything like this. And Doc's, Clint who? Oh, you haven't heard of him yet. That's going to be his alias for the movie. Which apparently is a bit of a, because apparently Clint Eastwood had been in a movie by then. He was on, well, actually I need to look it up. Um, so before he started doing movies, Clint Eastwood was, he was like the first ever He's TV to movie star. Oh died. yeah. He just, just made a movie. I think earlier this year. I thought he died. Um, but sorry, Clint. like long before, you know, we had people like Tim Allen uh, or George Clooney. I mean, the original TV to movie success story was Clint Eastwood. Cause he was on this Western TV show called Rawhide. Uh, but so uh, no, technically raw. I mean, he was probably acting, but Rawhide debuted in 1959 and it was canceled in 65. So, we're a couple of years away, I guess, from him knowing who Clint Eastwood was. He was in four things in 1950. I think in that everything wrong with, they kind of point out that he was in things. But so he, in 1955, he was in Revenge of the Creature. He played lab technician Jennings. Whoa. Francis in the Navy. Well, that, you know what? Blah, 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 blah. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you here because I don't know if you noticed the posters that are in the background mm. at the movie theater here. It's too, like, I'm a huge fan of, like, the classic you know, cheesy monster movies, especially the universal ones. Mm -hmm. Revenge of the Creature is the sequel to The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is like my favorite classic monster movie. And Clint Eastwood's in that. And that's one of the posters in the background. So oh. as he's saying this, Clint Eastwood's movie debut, and now you mentioned, I'm like, yeah, he was like a cameo in that movie or I guess small mm -hmm. role in that. But it, not somebody, it would have been like, What's the name of the guy who plays the bartender in this movie? I can't remember. I mean, True. Maybe if you showed him a picture, he'd be like, but it's, that's the guy. He's on the poster right there. But it's no doubt one of these things we pointed out last week. Oh, Elijah Woods, little kid in the thing. Yeah. Uh, Billy Zane's in the background. These are people that are now household names. Um, but it's also a fun fact that the when they're in 1955, that atomic kid that says like in the cinemas now showing. Yeah. Apparently that's a mistake. It was started in 1954. So. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, this, this was the this was the, the prequel. Uh, anyway, I probably <laughs> just killed part. Clint Eastwood, by the way, because I thought he was dead. <laughs> uh, so, but ninety three, good on him. What a man! He was and a mayor still somewhere, working. wasn't he? He was he became, frequently. He became a mayor. Yeah, somewhere. he was in the eighties. It was yeah. uh, one of the rich places in California. Uh, Hilldale, that's what. That's Hilldale. What it was. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's actually Compton. it's funny because this is the first time I think I've noticed that Revenge of the Creature and Tarantula, which are both kind of fun, cheesy movies. Uh, but that being Clint Eastwood movie, as they're actually discussing it, it's in the background. Uh, so they're describing, okay, so you're going to drive towards the screen. Uh, and uh, he's saying, well, why do we have to do it here? I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's going to be a long walk back to Hill Valley. He says, well, we can't risk having you go in a populated area, which this is where young Doc, the drugs haven't hit in yet. Uh, because everything else Doc does in this movie, he sends Marty back at the end of this movie in the middle of broad daylight, 10 a.m., right before trains are running on a train track. You could have planned at a time where trains are less frequent and then decides himself to come back at the exact moment where he's going to blow Marty, almost probably all run over Marty and Jennifer at the end. 
But young one is like, oh, well, we got to send you back in a non-populated area. But then I love this moment where Marty's like, oh, but if I drive straight towards the screen, I'm going to crash in the Indians. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally. And Michael J. Fox is like, yeah, I got a problem with that. Sorry. Uh, and he's just right. You're going to drive towards the screen. And then when you go to 18 and five, they're not even going to be there. He even has this line where he says, you don't want to risk uh, knocking over some tree that once existed in the past, which of course is a reference to the Lone Pine, Twin Pine Mall joke from the first movie. Uh, so he loads him in the car. He drives towards the screen. Uh, I love the 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 way that this thing, it, it, it's, it's so retro looking. Like we get the original 1985 uh, DeLorean in the first movie. We get the, the flying DeLorean. The- what? Uh-oh. Yes, I took all your ice. I'm sick and I'm trying to keep... I'm t- <laughs> wow, I cannot win today, can I? <laughs> Jamie needs some drugs. She wants her ice. <laughs> you take all the crystal meth too? <laughs> Coke? Oh, I, I, I'm taking too long making decisions on which Lightning McQueen's to buy. I took uh. all the ice. Let me, let me just say this. In case Jamie's still listening, <laughs> anytime I go to get ice for a cup or something like that, I'm like, two ice cubes, that'll do it. Jamie will have a cup of water or juice or anything or iced coffee and she puts half an ice cube tray in there i'm like it never melts by the time you're done put two ice cubes in there it's going to keep it just as cold six ice cubes doesn't get it colder it just takes longer for it all to melt afterwards so yes i took the four ice cubes that were left because i have two liters of water to keep cold my apologies colin colin uh do we need to have a chat here everything okay uh, got some frustrations to let out uh, I'm, I'm sick i'm trying to keep my 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 throat okay to get through this recording and i just can't win so um i think we just might need to take a moment here as colin lets everything out uh he's had a frustrating day remember what i said before one day colin will be in love um actually no, i take that back Colin really is in love. Uh, this, this is, is love. what it is. This is a relay. How long have you two been together again for? Oh, it's been well over a decade. Uh, too long to count anymore. Um, it's about triple the amount of time I was Claire, married. So, uh, yeah. By, by 1995, this is what Doc and Claire are arguing about. I mean, he's, <laughs> you only have a machine that has one ice cube. I need six. <laughs> Get to work, Doc. Maybe I'll send Jamie uh, a message. Are you okay? Do you need to talk? <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so... Um, I love this, like this, this really retro looking 1955 one. Like it's bouncing. There's no, there's no support anymore for the wheels. It's bouncing all over the place. It's got all these contraptions. Uh, the electricity is like going wild. Zooms towards the screen. And then does this again, brilliant timing. This movie, the way that they, they don't make the jokes obvious uh, where it says, Oh, you're going to crash in those Indians. And then he drives through the screen. And of course he doesn't crash in the screen. Then there's literally the same exact visual of the Indians coming towards him, the exact same point they were on the screen, which is just brilliant. Uh, he starts throwing the car into reverse. Uh, now, now this was all filmed. They went out into the, the middle of the desert, which is, a, this is a place called Monument Valley, which is apparently where all the old Westerns were filmed. And when they made this movie, they're like, we could have done this on a back lot anywhere, but we wanted to go where the real Westerns were filmed. And everything in this movie, they built for real, uh, with the exception of the train, which is a train that really existed, which there's some fun trivia on that. But uh, we got him speeding away from the Indians, driving into the cave that uh, Doc tells him to hide in. Uh, and then, of course, he comes out of the cave and he goes over the ledge and there's the cavalry coming. So he has to duck in there again. Uh, he finds that there's an arrow inside the gas tank. Uh, the, the, there's gas pouring out of the car. Uh, and then a bear <laughs> jumps up. <laughs> I don't know bears live in my- the desert. Oh, well, where else are they going to live? I don't know. I've never been to the desert. <laughs> There's got to be bears there, right? Winnipeg, desert bears. You've been to the desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, this Michael J. Fox expression, <laughs> throwing his boots up in the air and running is great. Uh, now, I actually wanted to try to freeze frame to see it because Michael J. Fox is famous for 
Is he being very physical? I've never well, heard of him. Like his physicality, <laughs> and this is one of the reasons that he stepped away from Spin City because everything he's ever done, he's a guy who's jumping all over the place. He's doing somersaults. He's throwing himself like the Johnny B. Good stuff. Like that's what he's famous for. Even in a regular movie, being frantic and rolling down a hill like this wouldn't be beneath Michael J. Fox to do. And when the Parkinson's kicked in and he basically is like, I have to stand there with my hands in my pockets now. This isn't how I act. And that's why he decided to step away. Uh, but I wouldn't put it past Michael J. Fox to be the guy who throws himself down this hill, which like all this stuff, this isn't this isn't a series built on stunts. It's not James Bond. But I love that like the, everything looks so real in these movies from the fights we talked about in the first two movies to Michael J. Fox or whoever rolling down the hill here. It doesn't look knocks like, his head out. Yeah, I'm kind of sorry. I'm just watching the scene and yeah, you can't really tell. Plus, I, I think it's a stunt double because they're really like putting their head down so you can't really see his face. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to be rolling down a hill, you have to tuck your head in anyways for safety purposes. But, well, it but either way, it's knocked it, out. <laughs> this stunt man, I mean, I, I, I tr you can tell there's like a cut where all of a sudden he hits his head, which is obvious, but I'm still seeing a fence there. So this stunt man, whoever rolled down the hill, went through that fence one way or the other. Um, and then we have this uh, pan up where uh, Marty's knocked out. And then you see Michael J. Fox again, Michael J. Fox and Michael J. Fox. Uh, with his big red Irish hair, his mustache, and then this this uh, dog ugly hat. <laughs> uh, and this is Seamus McFly, his ancestor. Now, um, in part two, we talked about how they had to build that camera when they filmed the scenes with like the the dinner scene, uh, the pizza, and then all the stuff with Biff, old Biff and young Biff interacting, and Griff and uh, Grandpa Biff. Uh, that it's a camera that literally will film on a set, on location, but it's programmed like motion control. Uh, Robert Zemeckis said that he was never happy with part two. Once he saw part two, he felt that every shot they did looked like you were trying to show off. And he's like, if it's the same thing we always complain about where um, modern day, like Marvel movies, for example, you have these action scenes and you're filming it in a way where it's like, okay, I know this is CGI, but like when you have a camera that is swooping and spinning overhead and zooming through explosions, you couldn't do that in real life. I like effects that look like, even if you know it's not real, this is how you would film it with a real camera. And that was what Zemeckis' complaint was. He said in part two, it was like they were trying to show off, this is what we could do with this technology, and it didn't look real. It's not, this isn't how you film a real movie. So for part three, he wanted all the shots to be like, if we actually staged this and they were two separate actors, that's all we're going to do with the cameras. Uh, then we get the uh, the first uh, repeat scene here. I guess the second repeat scene of uh, the, the, the movie that remakes itself here. The mom is at you. Now he's waking up and uh, he doesn't question what's with the accent, mom. Yeah. Uh, I, I dreamed that I went Marty. back in time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I got uh, chased by a bear. <laughs> you're, you're safe and sound here on the McFly farm. And the McFly farm. Um, and then th this, uh, you're my mom. You're my mom. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and she ends up with Maggie McFly. Now I'm sure that everything wrong with talked about why his and uh, great, great grandmother or whatever, uh, looks exactly like his mother is some incest in his family. Yeah. But I think it was Bob Gale or Robert Zemeckis. One of them talked about that in the commentaries for the original DVD release. He said, yeah, this is the number one question we get is why does his great grandmother look like somebody when it's like they're not from the same genetic pool? And their explanation is we wanted to cast the same actress to keep Leah Thompson in the series. And ultimately, we just figure if there's a logical explanation for this, it's just all the McFlies are attracted to the same type of woman. <laughs> That's the the explanation they gave is they're attracted to the same type of woman, which is yeah. you know, a little bit creepy, but uh, it's an explanation. The, regarding the everything wrong with basically just they basically say the same things. Like, look, I get that you wanted to keep Leah Thompson in your movie, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just cover the rest of the stuff here through the uh, the, the chase movie. scene. Go for it. 
Yeah, let's just cover the rest of the movie here. Uh, so they, um, uh, we get Seamus coming in here with his rabbit. I got supper and and some of the time period specific stuff, which yeah. we got a lot of in the first movie, which it, it, we're getting back here. Like, can you would you like some water, Mister Eastwood? Because he introduced himself as Clint Eastwood now, and it's like this yellow water, and he's just sort of like looking at it and flicking the glass uh, when he's getting the, the gun pellets from the bullets or whatever, spitting them out as he's eating, uh, and then uh, Seamus is basically offering all this help to him. Uh, I'll uh, give you some fresh clothes or whatever. I'll give you a new hat. And then his wife, uh, Maggie, is uh, upset. So he takes her, uh, she takes him to the other Ooh, room. Takes her. And yeah, just right in front of Marty here, right in front of Mr. Eastwood. It's 1900. <laughs> Donald Sutherland. No. Then he swings Marty around the room. Yeah. And blows his head off. <laughs> um, but uh, this is like kind of a nice moment where they're just discussing, like, you know, why are you being so nice to this guy? We don't know who he is. And he's saying, oh, there's just something about him. Like, I don't know. It's like he, we have some type of connection to him. And look at how good William is, because this is supposed to be like his great-great-grandfather, William McFly, as Marty's like, oh, she decided to make it up to me by bringing me some soda stream. And you oh. get no ice. I get no ice. Well, I'll just take it out of my... Oh, Thank you. She's wearing a there lovely... There you go. She's tartan. redeeming herself. Oh, she's such yeah, a sweet and... woman. <laughs> well, now she wasn't 10 minutes ago. Be nice. Be yeah, nice she wants to show her. off her granny jammy. She's very excited. she got a couple pairs of like these... These, well, I guess granny nightgowns are kind of like moo-moos. Yeah. And, I don't, and they got pockets. Listen how excited she is. But like, I'm telling her like, I'm telling like, well, you really are like the, the youngest old lady ever now. We joked about that. Like, she's the one who's like, look at those kids across the screen. I don't like the looks of them. Uh, but uh, she, her explanation is, hey, there's got to be a reason why grandpa had 12 kids. Okay. These nightgowns work. <laughs> I, I, I love the dough. I just want keeping up with the Hildings on my box set. Like this is just, you uh, know, I've witnessed it in person. I've seen what they're like in person. It's great. <laughs> this is just a taste of it every week on the Oz network. This is why we yeah, get our listeners. It. They'd like listening into the dynamic of these two. Well, we got to get her on for a show. Actually, we might be because uh, there's the, the Scott Pilgrim animated series debuts on our anniversary. Oh. And I have posed the question to Jamie. I'm like, what do you want to do for our anniversary? Do you want to go out to eat? Maybe go see the new Hunger Games movie? Or do you want to sit at home and watch the whole season of the Scott Pilgrim animated series? And she's like, let me think about that. Well, so maybe we'll spend our anniversary recording a recap of Scott Pilgrim animated. If she wants to watch the Keanu Reeves narrated Formula One series about to drop on out? Disney Plus during the next week, uh, I'm happy to have oh. her join that on that. And also, did she? I'm sure she knows. I know she's a massive Zelda fan. Does she know they're making a live action Zelda movie? Yeah. yeah. She she did, and she was uh, she was telling me last night uh, when I was driving home after the Marvels uh, that uh, she uh, she's like oh and apparently it's the guy who's making the new Planet of the Apes movies directing, and then the guy who wrote Jurassic World Dominion, oh, and I'm like fuck. wow you just lost me there. <laughs> she needs to meet my nephew. She could meet a real life Link. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah, I, mean, I don't think I've ever told her that. Yeah, I, she definitely. I, I'm not joking. With all three of the kids, she's like, could we name them Link or something? And I'm like. This is when I was like, uh, maybe if we could name him Pierce or or Bond. I got Bond as a middle name, so she would get. Um, she would, you're, you're, Jamie would love my sister. They would get along very, very well. So, yeah. and I've I've never. I think I played a couple of minutes of a Zelda game once. So she's got you know, nobody to talk to about it. 
Well, I mean, I'm happy to do the video games arm because they've just, uh, Grand Theft Auto finally announced that they're about to drop the trailer for the new Grand Theft Auto in the next month. And it's only been 10 years since the last one. So I'm like losing my shit over is that. It, so is it, is it going to be like a numbered title or is it another like Vice City spin-off I reckon thing? It, I reckon it'll be GTA 6. It's going to be set in Vice City. It's going to apparently have the first ever female protagonist. And because um, somebody hacked the servers of Rockstar about a year ago and actually leaked footage of it. It looks amazing. So it is going to be in Vice City, but... Um, yeah, so uh, I reckon it'll just be GTA 6. But, I mean, literally, Grand Theft Auto Five, I think, is the only game in history that has literally spent, gone over three consoles. They released it on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, then re-released it on PlayStation 4, and then re-released it on PlayStation 5. That's how old this game is and keeps making the money. And, you know, 5 is the only one I've never played. I oh, played San Andreas, Vice City. Good. I played the original Grand Theft Autos. That, in fact, I, I got into those before even 3 came out. So 5 um, is pretty oh, good. I mean, you get it for like 20 bucks now. It's been out for 10 years. But, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's. I will say, Rockstar, it's a game that easily lasts 10 years. I still play it to this day, and it hasn't aged. So it's still And brilliant. I've been waiting to play Red Dead Redemption for like 10 years, it. too. So Get numbers. Get, well, they've just re-released the first one, like, on the newer platforms. But the second one is, like, the only video games I think I've ever cried in my life is the first the two red <laughs> seriously the storyline like as I, we talked about this they could easily make that into like a last of us style tv show and mm. i think it was henry yeah. cavill wanted him to and henry cavill would be perfect as like john marsden and that so yeah do it do it henry cavill's perfect for everything he's a perfect um, man oh i want to lick him uh anyways I, I do like though the dinner scene too where marty's like my car horse broke down <laughs> and a bear ate my boots and i guess i forgot my hat <laughs> um but yeah, when the, when they're talking about, oh, it's like we have some type of connection to him. Uh, and then he's in the background with the baby. It's like, so you're my great grandfather. First McFly, born in America. And you peed on me. <laughs> uh, this has happened to anybody who's had kids. Actually, the first time I was peed on, it was one of my nephews. Um, <laughs> and that was only the other day. <laughs> I, I, I don't, it wasn't, it was exactly. I it was hate the Uncle Last night after the marbles, I was criticizing the post credit scene. And he's like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it wasn't him. It wasn't Patrick. It was it was the next one uh, who's been on a couple episodes. <laughs> no, but, uh, the Jets will do well this year. <laughs> but but yeah, my second nephew, my sister's second oldest, uh, he uh, when he was born, I was visiting the hospital the day he was born. And they have him in like the little bassinet or whatever. And when the nurses come in, it's like, okay, you're going to want to move because we're going to change his diaper. Now, I knew nothing about babies. I don't realize like, those streams, those can shoot across the room. <laughs> and what happens is when you expose them to the air, that cold hits them and that makes them go. So I'm like, oh, I was standing next to him. Like, let me go stand behind it. And so they start undoing the the the, the diaper thing to get changed it. And all of a sudden, straight up over his own head, right onto my shirt, like backwards, like at least three, four feet. It was impressive. This is why so, yes. I, I adamantly, I remember when Link was born, I just, I, I will not go anywhere near that stuff i don't want to change a, a nappy i just don't want to do it i think the only way that i ended up changing link's nappy was i was with louise at the time so i'm like i will change link's nappy the day you come on the radio and eventually <laughs> she did and eventually i changed the nappy and i think that's the only nappy i've changed in my life um oh. and i just i like like how you are grossed out by like hankies and snot i mean i'm grossed mm -hmm. out by snot that don't get me wrong i am grossed out by it but that's my own snot so i can deal with it but like <laughs> i just i just don't want to deal with little children's poop and pee and like, just like, I get it. You're a parent. I get it. You get used to it, but I'm not a parent. I'm still single and I don't have to deal with that shit. Literally, hopefully, probably <laughs> never. So um, I'm fine with never having to get peed on. I've been peed on by cats and dogs and other animals. People. Women. Uh, Women. Well, oh, sorry. I meant to say <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Keep that up, man. Shh, shh. 
<laughs> don't reveal what you're into. But no, it's um, yeah. I uh, no, thank you. I'm good. We're getting really sidetracked here. We we will finish this quickly because it's, it's a quick movie. But uh, but yeah, the first diaper I ever changed was when my brother and I were babysitting my nephew for the first time. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law went out and they asked us to babysit. Like, there's two of you. You guys can't possibly screw this up. And we're like, oh, we got to change this diaper. And I, two of us working on him. I think the first diaper got scrapped completely. Then we did the other one. And when they came home, they're like, what did you do? It's like it was wrapped around his thigh on one leg <laughs> and then up on the other side. Mr. Bean with uh, like the teddy bear on its butt, like when he's at the yeah. carnival. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, the the the, uh, the first time I, I watched Casper on my own, I, I knew how to change diapers, but... I was excited because Jamie was going out and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a guy's day with Casper. So I took him over to my DVD Blu-ray shelf and I'm like mentioning movies to him, like, all right, Casper, what do you want to watch? I'm just looking for his reactions. He's like two months old, if that at this point. And I got to two guns with Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. And he just his peak he perked up. So I'm like, yes, we're gonna watch two guns. So I sat down and I'm watching this movie with him, Denzel and Mark Wahlberg shooting people and everything and explosions. With two guns. And all this. With two guns, because there's two of them, yeah. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, like, what's that smell? And I look down, I'm like, Casper, you're wet. And I'm like, oh, you didn't pee either. Like, whoa. And then I realized I had gotten so excited that I took his diaper off of him and I didn't put a new one on. I just got him dressed. <laughs> oh. So I'm like, oh, no, I had to pause the movie, give him a bath, get a new set of clothes, throw the the cover for his his little bouncy chair into the wash. We never did finish the movie. Um, and to this day, you yes. still haven't. I, 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 yeah, we're going to get to it. He'll be covering it with me next week on the Oz Network. It's finally finishing winner. two guns. <laughs> we will have him on soon because the movie he's most excited about, Trolls Band Together, ah, Trolls 3, comes out next week. And finally. we're going. Yeah. This is his This is his Back to the Future. It's his ultimate trilogy. Random question uh, off tangent, but just really, it's on. It's unrelated. Is Aquaman 2 still coming out this year? Because I've seen no publicity for it since that stupid It is, yeah. Trailer. It is still. Okay, go. I just saw the trailer last night. In fact, they moved it up a couple days. Uh, oh, I think it was supposed goody. to be released on the 22nd, and now they're released on the 20th. Which, now that the Marvels is making less money than Black Adam did, what, a year ago when everybody says DC's over because Black Adam opened with $70 million, and now the Marvel's going to open less than 60. I mean, is it time to just say, okay, maybe DC's not failing? Maybe this is just the current state of movies? I think I think everyone's getting superhero fatigue. I think people just aren't admitting it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it soon. Uh, but uh, I just, I back to this movie. Back, back, to the, back to the Future 3, yes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, anyways, so then we get him walking into town. I do love the the hat he has, <laughs> the Shameless hat. It does look horrible on him. I love Shameless. Uh, and- I love Shameless McFly. Shameless, shameless McFly. <laughs> shameless. I, well, I've never seen the show. My dad keeps telling me to watch it, but I love Shameless <laughs> McFly. I don't know. He's like my, maybe my favorite, like, extra Michael J. Fox character in these movies. I just yeah. love him. He seems like a nice a, guy. He, he seems like a nice guy. He actually carries some of the only real dramatic scenes in this movie, too. I mean, definitely some of the only ones from Michael J. Fox. Uh, and Michael J. Fox nails the accent, too. Yeah, I mean, I both him and Leah Thompson do great with this. Um, but yeah, the walking to the town, I mean, obviously we're not going to get a repeat of the town square. We get a couple of things like you see the, uh, the manure company is just like a giant thing. Like it says, whatever Jones manure hauling. And it's just a, uh, I don't know, a wheelbarrow or something like that. And then we get like the un- unconstructed clock tower in the distance. Um, but, uh, he walks into the saloon and, uh, I love all these little side characters they have in saloon, the way they're mocking. I didn't know the circus was in town. And they're like, must've gotten that shirt off of a dead Chinese. Um, <laughs> uh, and then he goes up to the bartender and, uh, he's like, what are you going to have to drink? He goes, ice water, ice water. See, you gotta have ice with your water. Okay. <laughs> um, 
And then they start laughing at him. He's like, you want water? You go drink another trough. Here we pour whiskey. I love that he pours it. Like, again, it, it doesn't make any sense. But the bar starts, like, steaming or smoking. It's, like, burning well, it. I think that isn't that the thing? Because, like, back then it was the way they made it. Like, it wasn't a lot of it. Uh, this wasn't Prohibition times. But I think, like, back in the day before things were, like, mass produced and distilled a certain way they were ridiculously strong and that that's why you see them use it as like fuel because like fuel yeah i think the fact that it's steaming i think that is a thing because it's just it was just made differently back then like it was very ridiculously strong you would never sell that today you would die probably uh and this is where we have buford walk in for the first time we get the repeat the hey mcfly and then he turns around you're not mcfly you sure look like with, with that dog ugly hat now, Buford is probably this is probably my favorite Thomas F. Wilson oh, performance. Now, mine it, by far. It's and it's funny because in, I was saying last week, like it would not have been a stretch to say Thomas F. Wilson deserved an Oscar nomination for part two. But he is so funny in this movie. And he's also like, you believe him as this Western outlaw. Um when they're when they're mocking him and they're saying, like, take a look at this getup. Uh uh, what's written on those moccasins? Nikkei? What <laughs> is that some kind of engine talk? Uh and they're asking him his name. It's like clint eastwood and this is where he has my opening line there what kind of stupid name is that uh and then i love when they, when they they start shooting and say dance and of course marty taking this literally starts moonwalking billy g is not mine and i don't so know how many good. times i watched this movie because he's doing it so quietly it took me forever to realize he's actually singing billy jean as he's moonwalking here yeah he jumps on the the spit bucket it goes all over buford this is where the chase scene starts through the town square he's dragging him uh by the horse uh, gets up to the clock tower. We got a new clock tower. It's time for a hanging. Starts hanging him. And then we have this brilliant reveal of the gun and Doc shooting him down and saying that he's got it aimed at his head. Uh, we get the backstory with Buford and um, Doc here as for why he's going to shoot him later on, uh, where he's saying, okay, so, uh, you know, you put a bad shoe on my horse and it threw me off. And Doc's like, well, then bring him back and I'll reshoe him. Uh, and he says, well, I busted a bottle of, of bourbon or whatever when you threw me off the horse. So you owe me five dollars for the whiskey and twenty five for the seventy five for the horse, and then Marty with his like that's eighty dollars, and then this is where Doc says, "Bring the horse back and I'll reshoe him." And I love Buford. I done shot that horse already. <laughs> so good. Uh, now uh, this is where the plot hole comes in because uh, Buford ends up leaving, and then this is where Doc and Mar- Marty have this great moment where he's like, "You know, I gave you instructions not to come back," and he says, "I had to, Doc," but I sure am glad to see you. And they have this hug. I love his line. It's like, uh, what idiot dressed you in this outfit? He goes, you did. <laughs> um, I'll stop it there before we get into it. But I will mention the plot hole here first because everything that's going to happen after this is like, oh, well, you're going to die because you didn't pay him off. Now, if we had had a line here of Buford saying, this is your last chance. You pay me now or I'm going to kill you. And he says, I'm not paying you. I would buy it. But the second Doc finds out he's going to kill me over this, he's got a business. What business is this business good to him? He could sell all the stuff he has there in a matter of a day, and he's probably got a couple hundred dollars, and he, here you go, Buford, and he's yeah. not going to die, and then just go back to the future. That's the closest thing I can get to it. all these other people things people talk about, plot holes, which is really just overanalyzing time travel, something that doesn't exist in real life, and I feel like these movies have good explanations for. This doesn't make any sense because Doc, this is before he gets, you know, love struck. He should just know, I could just, I could sell all this stuff. I could just sell the, the even, even just the ice machine, is going to be worth, you know, however much money. His logs, sell a couple of those to people on the 4th of July. machine. I mean, this guy should be the most yeah. famous person on the planet. 
Well, but even just the little contraptions he has, like how you make the eggs in the morning, just, you know what, uh, the saloon, you guys want to walk down the street and you could have an instant breakfast for all of your customers? Give me $75 or $80 right now and then the debt's paid off. That's, that's all I could really find for a plot hole. I agree with you. The only thing I'd counter that with is that we know Doc doesn't want to use a time machine for financial gain. I mean, he could literally be the inventor of the refrigerator. He could be like all these people and invent them first. So maybe he doesn't want to do that. My, my argument for that would be, and it's, it's a case of, as we always have in these movies, why do they go back in time and leave it so, like, fine? Like, why does he go back a week before this happens? Why doesn't he literally go back to the moment Doc arrives in 1855, uh, 1885 and go, Hey, Doc, welcome. You've come back. Just quickly, you're going to die in the future. Let's bring you back right now. Because then he never gets a chance to write the letter and the machine, DeLorean never gets to the future when they need to repair the parts. Well, the moment he, he writes the letter. They send it back the next day. Yeah, you, you could, yeah he was mailing this letter on the first day, why bother to send back the next day? You buy yourself an extra day. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I chimed in a lot of some of my thoughts throughout all of this. I mean, again, I love the beginning of it. I the Everything wrong with complaints about like, oh, why do they need to recap the first? Like, again, like people, we're hypocrites by saying this. People like to nitpick things. We nitpick things all the time. So like, yes, I get it. People have criticisms over certain things. And the, the point of that video is, is to nitpick. I get that. But like, I like the little recap at the beginning. I like the, yeah. you know, I just, I think it works. Like, it's fun. Like, it's just, it's like the, the second one. Like, it's it's continuity. The second one did it with the first one. It's like, let's have a little recap of the first movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to reshoot it with Jennifer, obviously, but like, it still works. So like, I'm well, sure if they did a fourth one, they would do exactly the same thing. Now, just for me to interrupt now and chime in. Ah, uh, oh, rude! We also, well, one thing that we also have to consider is this is outside of the Star Wars trilogy. This is the first ever complete trilogy. None ever exi- there. There were movies that had three parts, but it was never. Oh, we're gonna wrap it up here, like Rocky. You know, Rocky had did three movies, but Indiana Jones came out the year before, I guess, uh, around the same time or whatever. But Indiana Jones also doesn't end in a way where it's like that is the end of the story. They ride off in the sunset. It was kind of understood. Yeah, this is probably it, but like it's open for another movie. As far as like we're telling a story, and you know, when you finish the third movie, that's the end of the story. You get that the end title at the end. Things like Jaws, you finish a Jaws movie and it's just, oh, we're going to make another one. The Godfather even, it's like, well, Bond. they wrapped up part two. Bond, yeah. Star Wars is the only thing that existed. So we're, we have to look at this through the context of this is a, during a time period where people weren't conditioned to need to know this is one story. They were conditioned to know. And even the Rocky movies, the Rocky movies all started with recapping the final fight from the previous movie. And you've also got to look at it that even though this would have been six months on from the second one, now I remember as a kid when a video came out from the cinema or a DVD, like it was a three, four, five month, six month wait. Like it, like nowadays, like a movie's at the cinema. Jurassic Park was over a year. Yeah. Video on demand. It's on like fucking streaming in three weeks, basically now. Like it's like, I always get confused how quickly, like the other day, like popped up and I was, was in mission impossible recently. I'm like, what did I just say that in the movies? Like now it's, it's, I'm still in that old school mind frame. Actually, actually. Well, I, I just want to interject here because uh, the release date of Back to the Future 3 in theaters was May 25th, 1990. Back to the Future 2 came out on home video May 24th, 1990. The video came out 24 hours before the movie was released. this movie was released in theaters. But that's where I was going with this because it's yeah. sort of like we didn't have the internet back then where you can get a recap. You can watch the Oz Network's recap. Like mm-hmm. I often sometimes before, like, before I go see uh, the Marvels, I'll probably watch a cram Ms. Marvel in five minutes, you know, like, cause I, like, I, I forget these things and they're, they're great. They're fantastic. I applaud these people on YouTube who can do that, but dumbasses like me who are lazy, but like, 
you don't have that back in 1990. So you kind of need that little bit of a, a refresher because, again, if this is coming out in VHS the day before it's released, you know, not everybody is going to be a geek and go and do that. Now, I'm pretty sure they yeah. did this with The Matrix from memory. I'm pretty sure Matrix Reloaded only came out in DVD like a couple of weeks before The Revolutions came out. Um, yeah, it was uh, – yeah, because I, I remember getting Reloaded – in like beginning of November or something like that. Yeah, and then too. it was a month or so later when Revolutions came out. I, I remember buying the DVD just before Revolutions came out. I, mm-hmm. I'm exactly the same. But like, this is the thing. Like, and like, I, I hate that we're now those people who are old and remember kids, like <laughs> what it used to be. But we're literally at that phase now where it's it's such a, we can say that because I vividly remember the, the wait from seeing a movie in the cinemas to getting on DVD. I think I told the story back years ago when we did Lara Croft Tomb Raider how obsessed I was with that movie and how much I wanted it on DVD. And it took You forever. were the one. <laughs> I was the one. And that was in that weird phase where they would often, like, I, I think I, I went over this in the episode, but I, I can't remember what you said if they did it in Canada. But here in Australia, they would often, certain releases would only be released to rental. And then, like, you could only buy them, like, a significant amount of time. So you could only rent Lara Croft Tomb Raider. You couldn't buy it. Mm. So I had to go to the video store and be like, do you sell X rentals? And basically, they had to wait. They had, <laughs> you went to the X section. Well, they had the X rated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They had to wait a month for it to be out, and then they could sell me an X rental yeah. copy of it. So, like, it was it was a weird time. The Wild West of DVD purchasing. <laughs> but anyway, so I like this recap at the beginning. And, I, and people who complain about it now, like, come on, there's a reason behind it. I like the bit when he's in the lab and he's sort of, there's a lot of little props he's picking up from the first two movies. Like he's got the, the mind reader thing. I like when he gets the waste paper basket and he pulls out the little car, that the, <gasps> you know, scene, um, which I'm sad we didn't get another moment of that in this. Um, I, I Again, this is just Ben nitpicking. Again, it's a bit hypocritical of Doc, but I kind of like how you, as you said earlier, it sort of, it shows a bit of growth from the character, but at the same time, does it really show growth? Because this doc is only a week removed from the previous doc uh, of 1955. Mm. So if you go this in real time, a week ago, he's like, no, Marty, no one should ever know about their, their own future. Uh, he's literally reading this whole letter. Oh, like the future. And, oh, I've got a dog. Like, shouldn't he be like, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But I, I guess like technically by this stage, has he sticky taped the letter? Or maybe you could argue this is the moment is the that makes him sticky yeah. tape the letter. So there you go. There's... I'm sure Bob and Rob are listening to this and they're going, Ben, I can explain that. Which can I just say, I'm tangent, but it works into the same conversation. Uh, I've mentioned to Colin, I think I've said a few times, I'm currently going through and rewatching all the Harry Potter movies. And I know we're not meant to talk about it because she's technically been cancelled for reasons which are a bit iffy, let's be honest. But one thing I've always appreciated about JK Rowling is that, at least until only a year or two ago, if, if a fan like tweeted her, and she, like, I'm sure she gets 500 of them every second, but she would often go through her tweets and somebody would be like, oh, on page 72 of book four, you mentioned Ginny says this and this is the next way. She would always be like, well, this is what, it, like she would actually explain the law and the logic. And like, I love that about a creator who does that. So props to you, JK Rowling. Don't sound like that. I'd probably get cancelled myself, but there's a, there's a grey line in her cancellation. And we're at it. Props to Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Now, hang on a minute. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Her cancellation, it's like, really? <laughs> I think there's a line between J.K. Rowling and Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and Hitler. Joking. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, we just said, yeah, the Nazis really do raw. <laughs> and Osama bin Laden, I tell you what, if you want to, you, you know, get something destroyed, that guy's on the, that guy's pretty... <laughs> Quick to it, you know? <laughs> you don't need red tape. You don't need to, you know, get a demolition contract and approval by the council. <laughs> that guy gets shit done. 
All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> hello, JK Rowling, if you're listening. Uh, we did not compare you to Harvey Weinstein, Hitler, and Osama bin Laden. Uh, but most of the world has right now for some reason, so there is a reason behind that. Um, I kind of I love the set so of this. Like I love this like mine, and I love how kind of they've gotten this like the rocks that fall behind that like wood, and like I mean I yeah. can imagine they're like paper mache rocks and like you know movie magic. They're not real rocks, but this is the beauty of movies. Like they make it look real and like, you know, get a bit of sound effects and everything. It looks really good. There's something about like movies and TV shows in mines. Like, I don't know, like it's claustrophobic and it's interesting. Like I would never go down there, but like, I don't know more yeah. mine movies. Where are our mine movies? <laughs> there's a, there's a great movie. You remember that uh, Chilean mining yeah. disaster where people got trapped in there. There's a, they made a movie out of that. Uh, I think it was called The 33 or something like that. Pretty good movie. There's, and um, then there was also that, that Thai, the one that happened in Thailand that Ron Cage. Howard made a movie. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, there was a really famous incident in Australia in like late 2000s. It happened in Tasmania. Two miners got trapped down a mine in Tasmania and they were, they were there for like two weeks. And miners the, is in like children? or Yes, exactly. I, I put them there. There's um, a galaxy but... <laughs> <laughs> Miners, not miners. <laughs> Um, but they made a TV movie of that, uh, which, uh, which was okay. Uh, very Australian TV movie. But uh, anyway, uh, Michaela Bennett, who was on the show, Talking Always Green, was in that show. Um, but so, yeah, and I've never actually thought about that, breaking into the library. It's like, you're right. Like, this, yeah. this, this is a plot hole. Like, it's one that nobody ever talks about. But they're always in such a rush. Like, oh, we're going to get you back. We're going to get you back. It's like, you've got a time machine. This doesn't change anything. It's still <laughs> dead. This happened like 70 years ago. Oh, I'm going to do this. going to do this. Oh, I might just watch Howdy Doody. All uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it's a 1955 doc thing because it, it when when uh, they're, they're in 1885, Marty's saying, oh, what about Jennifer? And then Doc's like, you don't have to worry about it. We have a time machine. If we already fixed the timeline, we're just going back the next morning. Nothing's going to change for her. Yeah, true. I saw like, I think the everything or nothing, everything wrong with kind of like, video here points out the mistake about like, well, why does he go to the drive-in? Why doesn't he just go to like a road? I'm sure that road would exist in 18. Well, no, it doesn't. Cause he says there are no roads in yeah. 1885. So there's a mistake there. Um, I, yeah, I do like this, uh, outfit, which where does doc get that outfit from? Like why does doc have a pink <laughs> atomic outfit doc? Um, you attended some type of like, uh, atomic energy slash cowboy theme party. Yeah. Which also, can I just also correct you and everybody? Are we meant to be saying, uh, as he comes out of the screen now, uh, some American Indians or some Native Americans come towards him. Are we allowed to say Indians anymore? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was 1955, so we can't fault Doc. Uh, <laughs> so, well, 1985, I guess Marty was still saying it too. But um, yeah. there's there's a bit of a mistake here. So when, when you see him back up into the cave, you actually, there is no arrow in his car. So like, it's only there mm. when he actually uh, does back up into the into the cave. So um, there is that little mistake. Um, and yeah, I, I do like this. Black bears are the ones where you're meant to play dead, right? I did learn this in Canada. I think black bears, you can play um, dead. It's grizzlies I'm that trying you to remember, run. Like, well, I thought grizzlies, you could play dead. Cause there, there's that, uh, you ever see the documentary grizzly man? I've heard of it. It, it was seen it. It's an amazing movie because it's about a guy who spent his entire, you know, adult life in Alaska studying these bears and then the twist is he actually got eaten by a bear. <laughs> but, was that the one that was filmed that like it was like literally he left his camera on when he was like mauled to death? Was that yeah, that which they don't show in the movie. But there's this shot of like the director listening to the audio footage and basically, you know, saying, I think you need to destroy this and burn it. Nobody ever should hear this again. It's so too terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure if I'm thinking of it correctly, because grizzlies are the ones you run from because it doesn't matter if you play dead. They're that aggressive. They will kill you anyway. 
And I think black bears are the stupid ones that are the ones that you... <laughs> like, seriously, like, they're not aggressive. Like, they were on Vancouver Island. Like, they still can hurt you and kill you. Okay. But, but am, am I correct in that? Well, it says it says it's the opposite. For a black oh. bear, you should not play dead. You should try to escape. Okay, I thought it was the the grizzlies were just so aggressive that they will maul you if you're dead anyway. Um, but apparently, like it was a thing on Vancouver Island where like black bears were native, but like grizzly bears weren't. But apparently, they were powerful. They would swim from like mainland Canada to Vancouver Island across the strait, and apparently, like every now and then, they would be spotted. And it was on the news one time. I was it's like. Grizzly bear spotted in Vancouver Island, and then it was spotted swimming back. So, like, apparently they're that good of a swimmer. Put him in the Olympics. Oh, I saw we, – we, there was one time we were uh, we were camping, and I, I think it was somewhere in Ontario. And uh, I remember looking at, like, the cabin window, and I'm seeing something in the water. This was, like, during a big storm. It's, like, windy and everything. And I saw two things, and it was basically a mother and a baby bear that were swimming oh. from one island to the other. Um, I, I just – I started laughing, though, because I, as I'm looking through this, I'm like, well, some of these say that you should play dead, and some say you shouldn't. I'm like – you know, the weirdest thing happened to me. I had something on my conscience where I'm like, somebody's going to be listening to this and that's the only thing they're ever going to hear. And they're going to counter a black bear. They're not going to play dead and they're going to end up dead. I'm like, wow, I don't want them to come. Just research it yourself. Don't take my word for it. It depends if they're on cocaine or not. That's Exactly, yeah. The, the cocaine bears definitely play dead. <laughs> do I, do anything. I uh, I mean, I always wanted to see a bear. Like, I mean, it, it, like, I've seen them. But like, it's, it's sort of like, it's that weird thing where it's like, Australia has this reputation of, Oh, every animal will kill you. I'm like, yeah, we've got some deadly animals, but ours are little. Like, I mean, by the time you step on a snake or get bitten by a spider, you don't know about it. You're dead already. Like, whoop de doo Whereas in, like, Canada and America, fuck, if there's a cougar or a bear coming, I'm going to fucking know about it. I saw when I was in Alaska, I saw a moose. We were, I did a, um, we were do, I was doing, like, a city tour of Anchorage, and we were in, like, this is, like, suburban Anchorage. And all of a sudden, the bus was like, oh, let's stop right here. It was like, well, this fucking moose is just walking down, like, the suburbs. I like the fucking T-Rex in the Lost World. They're yeah. massive. Um, and, like, yeah. this thing is bigger than the bus. Um, but I never saw a bear, never saw a cougar, um, in the wild, at least. I've seen a bear in a zoo. Um, but, what? yeah. There's a lot of deer just in various oh, parts deer. of the city here Heaps in Winnipeg. Yeah, uh, even, even those can get pretty big. But um, in the area we're in, we, we see a lot of foxes. A couple times a year, we'll see a fox. And I never know, like, are foxes dangerous or not? There was one time I was taking out the garbage, and I look and I see something in the corner of my eye, and like, a fox literally just ran down the back alley. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, are foxes dangerous? Should I be scared? Should I go back inside? Yeah, foxes are fine. Foxes are just, it's like raccoons. Like, I remember when I'd say raccoons in Canada, like, I, I would be fascinated by it. I always remember seeing deer. I'm going to go out to the deer. And people are like, no, don't go out to the yeah. deer, man. But like, the deer <laughs> are just stupid because, like, at least with a kangaroo, if it jumps in the middle of the street, it's generally going to move or it will bounce off the car. They're hollow, like they're light. They don't do any damage. Or the deer just stops in the middle of the road and stares at you. frozen, yeah. And looks at you as it's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? I'm like, get off the road, dickhead. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Animal Oz coming soon to the Oz <laughs> Network. Um, yeah, I, I just love Seamus McFly. He's just... Seamus. Seamus. Whatever. <laughs> Maggie, a boy's falling down on the thing. Uh, <laughs> Is his name actually Seamus? I thought it was Seamus. Seamus, yeah. Oh, that's why you were laughing. <laughs> if you honestly oh. thought it was, oh, you didn't even. I thought you were making a joke. No. You didn't even realize his name was not Sh- I thought Seamus name, McFly. I thought yes. his name was Shameless. Oh, <laughs> silly. It is a bit of a plot hole with Maggie, but you got to get Leah Thompson in here somewhere, you know. So yeah, uh, why not? Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like this thing with the rabbit and like the bullets and. It's just nice little timepiece things. Like my mum was very much into antiques and, um, you know, like she would have in the house like old style things. She would have like an old chamber pot. She didn't use it, 
but she would have it like on the thing and like all of these, like all of these things, like literally my mum would have in the house. And I remember like, it was, it was about the boom of reality TV. Do you remember they would have those shows where it was like 1900 house and they would put yeah. like a family back and make you live in like my mum, like went gaga for those shows. And I remember I watched one with her and they're actually really interesting. Like let's make a family live for a week, like the 1900s. That's, I think I watched that yeah. one. It was very interesting. On, on, well, we're covering 24. And I mentioned that uh, Carlo Roto plays Morris O'Brien, that his last big thing is he hosted a show here in Canada. They did that for a couple of seasons, which I, I thought the show was amazing. I love that. Yeah. They're very fast. Like it's just, it's in one of these days are going to be like, 2000s house people will have to not watch streaming and get a dvd <laughs> no um but yeah i love i love always love a good reveal like i loved in the future in back to the future 2 when they go into the town square and you see the flying cars and everything the jaws mm-hmm. you got this one when he's walking through the bit and you see them building the clock tower uh you see what the marshall sign like gone to fight the law or whatever it is uh, gone to hayesville for hanging of stinky lomax yeah, um, I saw that name, Stinky Lomax. Stinky Lomax, that's what I'm also known as. Marty steps in poop, because why not? Um, <laughs> and yeah, I do love the bar, like, oh, yeah, why don't you come from the circus? Um, <laughs> but I'm surprised, like, they didn't use this bartender, like, because they just keep seeming to use, like, all the different, like, other actors. Like, is the mayor not the same mayor and, like, things like that? Like, why isn't the bartender the same guy who sold, like, you want a tab? You're going to have to buy- order something. Like, I thought it would be, like, the yeah. same person. But I, I, the thing I love about Thomas Wilson in this movie is that, like, honestly, the first time I watched this, I didn't realize it was the same guy who played Biff. I thought this was a completely different actor because he does such a good job. Like, it legitimately took me a couple of viewings or maybe watching the behind-the-scenes documentary to realize, oh, that's the same guy. Like, I think he does such a good job at, like, making this a different character. And it's just, he's so good. And, like, as I've constantly said a lot, this scene of not some dude it up, egg sucking, gutter trash is just any Australian will know that from the ratings advice video. Um, I love the, yeah, the moonwalk stuff and him singing Billie Jean as well. Uh, and just this chase through the town square is just great. Although, Marty should be dead. Like, he's been like hung up like that quickly. Like, come on. Yeah. But Doc, does he invent the, um, the sniper rifle here? Um, <laughs> We could have sold it for eighty dollars. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I love that hug. Like Marty, I told you not to come back here, but it's good to see you because that just always reminds me of the trailer at the end of the second one when he puts his arm on his yeah. shoulder and he hugs him. Look at him go. Oh, don't forget the, the the great the opening of that trailer where we have the town reveal where you yeah. just go over that Hill Valley sign. Yeah. One one um lovely little plot hole mistake which they point out in the everything wrong with, which is actually a good point. Why does Doc have uh Marty sized clothing? One of the teenagers boys uh-huh. has he been uh keeping in his <laughs> little hideout for a while there, Doc? Uh, <laughs> and he had them in 1955 too. Yeah. Mhm. Uh Well, he could have gone to the store in 1955, I guess. He's he's got a type um so i <laughs> i guess this is where you like i, I i'm just i'm saying this out because i'll forget but like i think kind of like this is another one of these like like doc again hypocrite moments but again you kind of are like well you pointed out that he's grown but like he talks about altering history well he's set up a business here he's met people he's bumped into people um by him like saving clara like he's completely changed the course of history now because they're gonna have like kids that didn't exist because she was meant to die and like like there's there's so many like butterfly effect moments that he's doing like in this whole time frame which is kind of like huh which actually they point out another good one in that everything wrong with i've never thought about it which again i'm jumping ahead here by marty 
stopping crashing into the role, the Rolls Royce, whatever, at the end of this movie, should his self in the future have even existed? Shouldn't it be a different version of his future? So by him going into the future, that should not have existed because he changed, like it's like, well. But again, it only would happen after you've changed it, you know. So if he mm. hasn't reached that point yet, yeah, I'm jumping ahead and I'm I'm doing oh no, I've gone cross-eyed from Austin Powers. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, we're we're up to where you're up to. Uh, so actually, all of the the bar patrons, the the three guys who are always sitting there mocking everybody, they're old classic Western actors. And the guy who plays the bartender. Uh, if you look through his filmography, Matt Clark, um, he, he started like in the '60s, did some pretty big uh, Western movies too, like a couple of Clint Eastwood ones here, a John Wayne one, The Cowboys, Clint Eastwood uh, movie, um, uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, and uh, he the last thing he acted in was in 2014, which was his final film he's still alive though a million ways to die in the west he played old prospector so uh it's kind of cool like robert prospector <laughs> he's on one of <laughs> the rootness tootness cowboy <laughs> oh kelsey grammar is the old prospector but uh yeah it's kind of cool like zemeckis and gala like oh we're gonna actually fill it with like actual actors from the that that era that i guess people who might like westerns you know from like the 50s and 60s would recognize these people um so yeah, this is where uh, he's explaining everything to Doc, and uh, he's saying, "Well, now I wish I paid him off or whatever." He's showing him the the, the picture. You got this big Why steam contraption he? going off in the As background. As you say, right then when he yeah. says, "I wish I paid him off," go and do it then. <laughs> exactly. That's the only plot because he could just say, "Listen, everything you have in here, my gun, my refrigerator, my ice machine, all my black stuff, Smith stuff, it's yours. You could take possession of it immediately. I'll go sleep out in the woods." That's all he needed to do. The only plot hole with that is it's with anything. It's it's twenty four negotiating with terrorists. Like I mean, you know, he's not just well. Beaufort's not just gonna be like, oh, well, thank you, fair enough. Don't do it again. I'll see you tomorrow. Like and, he's, he's gonna. That's from that point on, he knows he's gonna get his way, right? So yeah. We did cover the deleted scenes in part one and a lot in part two. This part three only has one deleted scene, which when we get to it, I think might kind of explain. I still think you should have a line to explain why he doesn't think about that because we also have some idiotic ideas he has coming up here where he's saying. We could roll it down a steep hill, or we could wait till the uh, ice freezes over. And I was like, Doc, Monday. <laughs> There's no ice on right here right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, there is something coming up later on, which eh, might explain it away. But so I, I'd like to have at least a line where you yeah. said, this is your last chance or something like that. Um, anyway, so as he's uh, going through all this, uh, you see that this giant contraption he has in the background makes a single ice cube. And he's like, ice tea? Uh, <laughs> that's worth a lot more than $80. I'm saying it. Uh, and uh, this the refrigerator. The, <laughs> he did, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and those I don't know, those logs alone are going to be worth a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sell that to the rail rail company. I mean, we can make your trains go ninety miles an hour now. Yeah, true. Um, so th we got the mayor showing up here, and uh, he's basically saying, "Oh, there's the this thing you agreed to do where you're going to meet the new school teacher. Oh, what's her name? Clara Clayton. And this is where they're like, "Oh, his beloved Clara, because of the tombstone." And uh, Marty's like, well, now we know who Claire is. And Doc's thinks this is preposterous. You know, uh, how could I fall in love at first sight? And <laughs> Marty's line here is, uh, come on, it's natural. Uh, it's just something that hits you like lightning. And then he's like, Marty, don't say that. Because, <laughs> of course, he got hit by lightning in the last movie. Um, so they say, oh, I guess Claire is going to have to wait. Uh, and this is where he has revealed, oh, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, fill up Mr. Fusion because we're out of gas. And Doc's like, but Mr. Fusion doesn't run it. It always runs on gasoline. So what are we going to do? And this is where you get the music. I remember Zemeckis or Gale talking about in the commentary that logically it makes more sense. Doc would know 
the horses are never going to get them to the speed they want. They got, I think they get to like 25 or something like this with the horses. But his explanation for that was simply, we wanted a shot of a DeLorean being pulled by horses <laughs> and have big, you know, epic music playing. The music and the visual is the entire reason they have this shot here. Because um, yeah, that's, that's um, cause like literally when Doc says, um, it's not going to work. The fastest horse can only get to like 40 miles an hour. And it's like, well, why are you doing this then? Yeah, you wasted an entire afternoon doing this. Yeah. Uh, then we have Doc uh, trying with the, the the bartender says the strongest stuff they got. They pour it in the gas tank, and then all of a sudden it blows the the, the fuel injection system out or something like that. So it's going to take me a month to fix. Uh, this is where he's spitballing the ideas about waiting till the ice freezes over. And Marty's like, "But Doc, <laughs> there's no ice Monday." Uh, and then he has the great moment, a great delivery from Christopher Lloyd. He's like, "But if we could figure out a way to push it up to 88 miles per hour." And then all of a sudden you hear the train go off and they're going, choo, choo. <laughs> uh, when they're down at the train station, um, uh, th- this guy is great too. This train conductor is like, why him. would anybody in such a rush to go anywhere? Uh, and if, if you get burning hotter than the fires of hell itself, <laughs> it's really animated. Um, but uh, um, it's, I, it's not this scene, but the following scene, I think where they're looking at the map mm. and he's like, all right, so this is where the tracks would get us up to there. I don't know if you ever caught, you can see Clara in the background waiting. Oh, and no. nobody's picking her up. Actually, yeah. hang on. I, I, I don't, but like, I think I've watched the video where that's pointed her out. It's kind of, it's kind of like the kid pointing at his dick. I think it's like, yeah. once you know it, then like, I just, maybe it's something that I've forgotten, but I actually, now well, that you say that, it, it, yeah, I'll look and, at it now. And it's, it's a good, it's a good way to kind of like tease the audience. Like, Oh, a repeat viewing. You're going to catch it because if you notice what's behind Claire, Claire's backs to the camera, but you know, that purple outfit she has, uh, at least the audience knows after you've seen it once. And then she's basically standing right in front of the clock for the clock tower, which is being unloaded from the train at the same time. Um, so, and then even Doc with Doc's brains just not there in this movie where he's like, uh, uh, interesting. Clayton Ravine is called Shonash Ravine here. I wonder what that means. Uh, and then Marty says, oh, but there's no bridge here. They go, they check it out. And Doc's like, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. And of course he's like, oh yeah, of course. Again, uh, he explains the bridge will be completed once they go. And then you see this this carriage uh, going wild, uh, out of control. Oh, I see it now. Um, there she is. Yeah, yeah. It's just her back to the camera, but it's like it's uh, the first time I saw that. I'm like, oh, Claire is standing there, and this is. I do wonder how Doc ditched her. Oh, I guess he didn't ditch her the first time around. No, that. I was trying to. I was overthinking things. I'm like, oh, but she was not because Doc originally. <laughs> but you know what? That now actually it's opened up another thing here. So before Doc went back in time, this was always called Clayton Ravine because she died which means the mayor got somebody else, not Doc, in the original timeline, who also ditched her. This one was just prone to being ditched. No wonder she's like single school teacher and lonely and getting picked up by grandpa here. Uh, it's the first guy who's given her any attention for some reason. Uh, she's just but, like Lorraine uh, yeah. in the first movie. Any guy that's going to rescue her from the tree, she's horny Exactly, for. yeah. I need oh, to meet you these saved women. my life. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool little action sequence they have here. Um, the rescue of Clara and then... Even her was like, thank you, you saved my life. As soon as she sees Doc, uh, they're they're both like uh, completely uh, head in the clouds here. And then Marty, this entire next scene, he's just like, uh, Doc, Doc, we got to go. And uh, just seeing Christopher Lloyd playing something completely different because you're in the third movie. You think you know what performance you're going to get out of him. And he's being completely different here. And uh, uh, the way he even says, like, I'm a scientist in town. I mean, blacksmith. And she's like, what sort of science do you like? And he's like, I'm a fan of all scientists. Like, he's seductive with describing science. Uh, and then Doc, uh, Marty again, it's like, all right, we got to go now. And then Doc with his toodaloo. <laughs> I love Christopher Lloyd in love. Oh. oh, he's so good. But, 
But again, this is one of the things that Christopher Lloyd was excited about because he's he's 51, I think, when this movie comes out. 51 years old, and he'd never had uh, all the acting he'd done on stage, TV, and film. He'd never been involved in any love story. He never had an on-screen kiss, and now he gets laid. Uh, so good job, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, but 51 years old, how did it take that long for somebody to give? And I guess actors get typecast. This is a guy who's been typecast in many ways. You know, he he did the big, you know, epic Shakespearean stuff, and then he got into. I'm the guy who's doing really outlandish stuff, wearing a costume or makeup and Back to the Future and everything, Star Trek, uh, Buckaroo Bonsai and all that. And you just, you don't expect somebody like Christopher Lloyd to do it. But I mean, he had a couple after this. There's a movie Camp Nowhere, which I always loved, which he has another love story in that one. Uh, It's a great movie, but uh, he handles it so well. It's interesting with certain ones like that, how that takes some time. The one that always amazes me, and it's something that I weirdly picked up on, and I think then I Googled about it, and there's a reason behind it, was that any Ricky Gervais movie that he often has a love interest. So like in, what Mm -hmm. is it, um, The Adventure of Lying, it's him and Jennifer Garner. Uh, yeah. him and Taylor Leone in the ghost town or whatever it is. If you ever notice in any Ricky Gervais movie or TV show, he never kisses his lead. Like he never, like he gets with them, but they never kiss. And I like, mm. I just, it was a weird thing that I caught on. So I think I Googled it. I think Ricky Gervais said in an interview, like, he's like, well, like, A, you just don't always need a kiss. Like, it's just something that you don't really need. And he's like, I think he said something on the lines of like, I don't know why they always like have me in, you know, relationships with these people who I'm never going to get. So I don't need to kiss them. So it's just kind of like, it's just, this weird thing that Ricky Gervais doesn't ever kiss his like romantic leads, which is such an oddity if you think about it in romance storylines in movies, but it's also unique. So I don't know. Next time I watch a Ricky Gervais thing, Ricky Gervais never kisses his like love interest. It's 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 not a never thing, but uh, another thing to really appreciate about the type of guy Christian Bale just is in real life. Christian Bale is an Oscar winning actor and everything. It is very rare for Christian Bale to have an on-screen kiss just because he's been married since like the early 2000s and he's that loyal to his wife. In fact, the movie, he won his first Oscar for The Fighter. Um, and in that movie, there's one scene where he's basically supposed to be making out on the couch with a woman. And the way a they woman. film it, you're like, a woman. Uh, but the way they film it, you're like, oh, they're hiding the fact that it's, it's one of these things where they probably got their heads next to each other. Mm. Like, let's just film them from behind. And like me knowing this trivia about Christian Bale, I'm like, yeah, he's not kissing another woman, you know? Uh, That's a man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah, that, this guy's loyal to his wife. That's a, that's a real man there. Whereas Daniel uh, Craig is like, I've seen her in other movies. Get her and make her out with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, but like seriously, Christopher Lloyd, it's just a testament to what a great actor he is. And he's so underrated, partly because he, even after this, he just became, he transitioned into, let's do family films with Christopher Lloyd, like Dennis the Menace or Camp Nowhere or things like that. Uh, and you underestimate all the, the range he has. Because I buy this love story. And Mary Steenburgen was still in her late 30s by this time this happened. She's, despite the look of Doc, again, he is aged up in this movie. Oh, uh, Doc. He's got the, oh, I you, he's got the look. He's got the look. Horizon-y. Aww. But like, but like Christopher Lloyd's like 51 when this movie comes out. Mary Steenburgen's like 38. So the, the, the real life age difference wasn't that much. But the age difference of the characters. It's just like how you don't question the age difference or even why Marty's hanging out with Doc, you know? Yeah. And part of it is so much just Christopher Reeve. You're like, not Christopher, I keep calling, do Christopher I keep calling Christopher Reeve? Christopher Lloyd. I was going to say, when you talk about that in the movie, I'm like, Christopher Reeve is not in this movie. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. But uh, seriously, get Christopher Lloyd to do more dramatic stuff like and this. And Christopher Reeve. Wait. Both of them, yes. <laughs> Bring them back, dig them up, put them in a movie together. Buddy comedy. Um uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I love seeing the love story stuff with him. And honestly, I 
I, I, I kind of got mocked by you for saying that the love story of the Santa Claus 2 is better than Titanic. I 100% stand by that. <laughs> Titanic's love story is really messed up nice. uh, and quite implausible and quite obnoxious and juvenile. Uh, but I'm putting this up there. This is this is a very strong love story. This is one of the best love stories of the 90s. This is, I would put this up there over Titanic. I'm not even joking. I mean, I don't disagree with you. It's a great love story, but not over Titanic. Come on, fuck off. Yes, Titanic's love story is the worst part of that movie. Uh, but even Mary Steenburgen said that uh, what she appreciated about this was that, of course, this is long before Big Bang Theory or anything like that. She, When she read the script, she's like, this is like geek love. And nobody had ever done that before. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, this probably would be the first time where you just have these two people who are like, they like telescopes and astronomy and Jules Verne. And this this is Big Bang Theory before Big Bang Theory existed. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love his toodaloo here. And this is where they have the revelation. It's like, uh, Miss Clayton almost ended up in Clayton Ravine. And then he's like, wait a second. She was supposed to fall in there. Uh, now, this is where it becomes, uh, this is not the plot hole, but Doc's lapse in logic, where it, Marty is a 17-year-old kid, so you could excuse him for not coming to these conclusions half the time. He doesn't think fourth dimensionally. Shouldn't he immediately be? Because Doc gets upset about this. Oh, we've altered you know, the space-time continuum. No, you just saved the space-time continuum. If you're going back to the future, you have an excuse to take this woman with you. She mm. doesn't belong there. And they even have a conversation later on where, and again, Marty's 17-year-old kid's not going to think about it. Doc, love-struck, not going to think about it. But as an audience member, I'm like, where Doc's saying, uh, Marty's saying to Doc, we don't belong here. We have to go. And Doc's saying, I want to stay with Clara. That's when Marty says, maybe we should take her with us, where Doc should be like, you're right. She doesn't belong here either. Mm. <laughs> We've messed with the space-time continuum. So this should just instantly be, hey, great. I can get laid all the time now. I'm taking her with us. Um, uh, anyways, so uh, after all this, we have um, the uh, the the thing where she shows up at the, uh, the 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 place when they're doing the model, a repeat of the whole model thing. You got to apologize to me. And he's like, it, it's great, Doc. I love that. The crudity every time, of every, this guy, I love that. The crudity, it's not built to scale. I know, Doc, it's not built to scale. Uh, there is something I actually, I never looked for what it was, but um, it, where you have the the part in this model, which looks incredible. I, mm. I love this little model train set Same. thing they do. Uh, the, the sign that says point of no return it's written on the, the the cover of a book. So I paused to see what the book was. And then I looked it up and most of the, it's just kind of a trivia thing about the movie. They kind of make it a plot hole where they're like this book, which is called the young and field literary reader volume four, which I tried to look at what this book is. I still can't make sense out of it. Is it an encyclopedia? Is it, you know, a book of short stories? I don't know what it is, but apparently this is a book that didn't exist till a couple of decades later. But I think that's easily explained away with it. This was in Doc's luggage. Like we saw, he he, had, he needed his cotton underwear and he needed his Young and Field Literary Volumes 1 through 4. Uh, hmm. So that, that's why I would explain this. But it is a real book that is written on there. Uh, and then we get the quick cover of the DeLorean uh, when Claire shows up. Uh, she's asking for the repair of the telescope. Uh, Doc's like, oh, yes, absolutely. And then she's asking about the festival. And uh, Marty's like, well, actually, ma'am. And he's like, oh, of course we'll be at the festival. She said, well, I'll see you tonight at the festival. And then Doc, again, completely love-struck, just sitting there, standing there, and Marty just coming up awkwardly, and he's like, it's a nice telescope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, I always thought uh, I got this wrong. When when we get to the the festival now, the dedication of the clock, which is what this whole festival is for, the mayor here, who's like, uh, 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 the the people of Hill Valley would like to dedicate this clock, and he says, I I always thought this was him flubbing the line, but like the way that in Attack of the Clones, you could hear Jar Jar saying, Delo Felegates as opposed to fellow delegates, which was like, it's intentionally, this guy's a bad public speaker. I thought he calls it Hill Tally. But then as I was watching this, some of the subtitles, 
he says Hill Valley. And the second time he says the people of Hill County, which I thought mm. for years, he this was just some idiot mayor who doesn't even know. I, he thinks this Hill Tally is the name of the, the town or whatever. Never noticed that. Uh, he cuts the ribbon, and this is where we get ZZ Top. Da, 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 da. Oh, it's so good. There's just something about that that I've it's always amazing. loved. Da, 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 da. And I don't think I knew, I, I probably didn't know who ZZ Top was. Now, uh, trivia here, probably about a year, maybe a year and a half after this movie came out, I got to see ZZ Top in concert as a kid, oh. which half of the excitement was just because these are the guys who do double back at the end of Back to the Future. Uh, and I think my, my, my mom was married to a guy who- and Santa Claus? Um, Santa Claus? What they, they do? Oh, the, um, well, I, it didn't exist at the point I saw him concert. Oh. Yeah, that was still a year or two away. But, you could have uh, gone into yeah. the future. I don't know. <laughs> and, and they also do the theme song from From Dust Till Dawn, which is another one of my favorite movies. So ZZ Top, great soundtrack band. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, my, my mom was one of the guys my mom was married to. He won this oh. massive contest where the radio station every concert they presented for an entire year he got free tickets to. So like for twelve months. Every time we're presenting this concert, you got tickets. And I think it was for ZZ Top, there were concert tickets. And uh, um, my brother and I got to go. And uh, so we got to see them perform Double Back Live. I don't know if I knew any of the ZZ Top songs, but I remember my brother even using his allowance once to buy, not the Back to the Future 3 album, but like the cassette of whatever album Double Back was on, mostly for Double Back. I couldn't tell you any other songs from that. I've played some ZZ Top uh, for the kids and the twins love it. I don't know what it is about ZZ Top that like connects with my twins, but they they just love the sound of ZZ Top. So I got to show them this movie one day. Yeah, I I I as I said, I didn't I wasn't a fan back in the day, but I've I've come around. But um, that like I always get confused whether this and Give Me All Your Love, and I'm like, which one's in which? Uh, yeah, because you know. But like I don't. Th- I think it took me a while in even the Santa Claus to realize that that was ZZ Top because I always liked that song, and then it would come on the radio. I'm like. This is a Santa Claus song. Give me all your love and no, 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 all your hugs do. and kisses too. And then strut back and forth. Oh. But I'd like that again. No Huey Lewis in the news, but still, like this is just—it's just one of those like nostalgic songs that you hear and you're like, oh, Back to the Future Three. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, trivia. So ZZ Top was asked to be in this movie to play themselves. I guess it's in line with. We had Huey Lewis in the the, the, the band audition, the then the news audition scene in the first movie. So let's have ZZ Top here. Now a camera broke down in the middle of filming, <laughs> and, and the, the first time I heard this was actually just reading the trivia while I was watching the movie. Uh, and they were delayed on filming. Now everything they're out in the middle of nowhere. They are built all this entire town in the sets, so it's not like they can say, "All right, go back to your trailers or whatever." Michael J. Fox just asked the ZZ Top of the band to play one of their songs. Hey, could you play this? And they did just just in character there with their acoustic guitars. Wow, they were functional. They decided to start playing, and then other people on the cast and crew started requesting other ZZ Top songs. And ZZ Top sat there for two hours, just taking requests on set, only to have uh, that, them ask Robert Zemeckis at one point. It's like, by the way, uh, you know, let us know when the camera's fixed, and we'll stop. And he says. Oh, the camera was fixed an hour ago. I just didn't want to interrupt your concert. <laughs> another day. Oh, they've been gone for. <laughs> that reminds you of. Did you ever see that viral footage a few years ago of poor John Bon Jovi was at like a wedding, and obviously he's just like at some friend's wedding, and you know it's just John Bon Jovi, and he's just sitting there, you know, being nice on whatever table, trying not to make pay attention to himself, you know, and then the the person at like the the wedding singer is like singing, and then all of a sudden halfway through starts singing like "Living on a Prayer" or "Always" or something like that. <laughs> Awkwardly comes up to John Bon Jovi, and it's all like, oh. <laughs> And I'll be there. And John was like, I just want to go to a wedding, yeah. man. Like, leave me alone. And then he hands the microphone and he just starts like going, 
And always. <laughs> and then there was another one the other day, actually, which I love these things that you see in New York. Um, a guy was busking in like Times Square subway station and James Blunt is walking past and this guy is literally singing, you're beautiful. So James Blunt is just like, do you mind if I join? joins in and he's like this guy's like on a saxophone play you're beautiful and then this has gone viral of him just like joining in singing his own song i love those moments uh i've kind of lived that uh my my famous uncle uh i've been to three family weddings where every single family wedding they always play the the most famous song he had which is the song take taking care of business is the song people are taking care of business or whatever uh, so three family weddings. I remember my aunt's one of my aunt's weddings in the uh, late '80s. They play that song. Now he would have been attending that one. Um, I don't remember his reaction. Uh, I, I probably wasn't that aware that it was a big deal that he was, you know, in, the guy who did this song. Uh, one of my mom's weddings, they played it, and then uh, what, my cousin's wedding, they played it. So all three is just a thing where you just play my uncle's song at the wedding. But I would have loved to to go back if I had a time machine to go back in time to see his awkward reaction because what I think about is if you ever saw that interview with Kevin Bacon, uh, it's now become like a big viral clip. Uh, Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You asked about the air up there, Uh, but uh, I don't know if it was the Tonight Show or if it was Late Night or something like that, where he's talking about whenever he goes to like a wedding, Mm. they will always play Footloose, and then he the way he describes the story is hilarious. If you can find the clip of it. Where he's like, that all of a sudden the song will start, dong, no, 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 no. And he says, he'll just see everybody in the room just looking at him, pointing, ah, ah. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then he looks at the bride, and the bride just gives him like the dirtiest look. This is my day. Don't you steal my spotlight? <laughs> we just, like, I, I have seen that one, but like, there's two great things. We're getting sidetracked. We're talking about Kevin Bacon. You got me a boner. Um, there is, a, <laughs> there is a great clip on YouTube of him and his brother Mark, the Bacon brothers, who I interviewed, singing Footloose, which is fantastic. And it's just. Maybe one of my, if not my most favorite episode of Will and Grace is the Kevin Bacon episode where like basically the whole plot line is that throughout the entire season, Jack is a, is a stalker. He's stalking Kevin Bacon. Like he's like, oh, I nearly got arrested for stalking Kevin Bacon again today. And then they finally like have the episode. And then some, I can't remember why, but Will gets invited into Kevin Bacon's house instead of Jack. And then, like, Will's basically sitting on the couch and he's, like, talking about, it, like, oh, you know, like, back in the day, I actually uh, did a, a junior high school production of Footloose. And it's like, oh, yeah, really? You should, like, um, you should show me the dance. And Will's like, oh, no, what are you talking about? I need the music. And Kevin Bacon literally goes, and, like, there's a clapper and it starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. And then so Will it's like the up. fawn. Snap your fingers in the jukebox, please. Yeah, and then, like, literally they start getting up and they start doing, like, Footloose together. <laughs> oh, so good. Kevin Bacon. Uh, oh. Uh, now the oh, you froze there for a second. <laughs> I'm like, you're you're love struck. This is like Christopher Lloyd. I know. <laughs> speech. It's it's a, it's a nice story, Ben. Space <laughs> time continuum. <laughs> uh, but uh, as the the festival starts here, you got ZZ Top playing. This is where uh, Marty says, "I wish I had a camera." Now, um, I I remember going through years not criticizing this movie, but just having the feeling like. I don't view Marty as a teenager. You just view him as a character, the same you would like Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, like the hero mm. in a movie series. And it's this rewatch I've done this time where I'm really picking up on these little things that make him a 17-year-old kid. Like in the first movie, where he says, all we need is a little plutonium. Like a person who's 25 is not going to be dumb enough to think that, right? They, they know the world a little bit more. Or they're not going to be asking for ice water in 1885, you know? Um, and, and just him saying, I wish we had a camera after he has now had this picture in his possession, mm. uh, about doc, the, the, the whole clock tower, he should be seeing that. It's like, that's where the picture's taken. But all these little things where it's just cementing, this is a kid. He's not going to always be thinking clearly. Um, 
where they get the picture taken here in front of the clock tower. This was that final shot of the teaser trailer at the end of part two, where it comes up with the title Back to the Future 3. And if you look at the look of Christopher Lloyd's face, it's like he's got like this double chin thing and he's got his eyes bugging out, his head back. (laughs) It looks like so awkward, his picture, uh, his expression, his picture here. Um, I I love uh, the uh, the thing where where Clara shows up and uh, just the awkwardness between them. It's like, well, would you... uh, you, you, you care to? And she's like, oh, I'd love to. And then they start dancing. And just Marty watching. He's like, Doc can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get this guy pulling him aside for the little gun shootout thing, which this ties into the whole wild gunman in the first movie. Uh, and of course he says, you know, you're not, you're not afraid, are you? I'm not afraid of anything. We'll just step up here like a baby. Uh, of course he, he fires it and it goes completely off uh, uh, the targets. The guy's laughing. He says, do you mind if I try that again? He switches hands, hits every single target. He does a whole gun spin and everything holds it over. So tell me one thing, kid. Where did you learn to shoot like that? Seven (laughs) Eleven, and that was like a because I remember not just the teaser trailer, but like seeing the actual trailers and all the TV spots promoting this. And that was one of the main lines. That was how did you learn to shoot like that? Seven Eleven was in there. Uh, Buford shows up here. Uh, They they can't bring their guns in. This is where we get the the one. I guess uh, this is the only scene we get of him in this movie. Although he gets a deleted scene where Strickland, Marshall Strickland here. Uh, where he won't let them in because they they have the guns, so he makes them give up the guns. Uh, and he's got his kid here with him, and he goes, uh, uh, this is where these people need discipline. Discipl- Remember that word, discipline. I will, Pop. Uh, now, again, being a dumb kid, seeing this the first time, I remember not realizing how old people might be thinking, well, Strickland must be 150 in 1985 or whatever he is, or 112, thinking that this is supposed to be the Strickland principle, whereas like, it's probably supposed to be like his father and his grandfather here. Uh, but I just assumed this was supposed to be him as a kid or whatever. Uh, now, I'll talk about it now just so I don't forget later. But the only deleted scene that exists from this movie is a second Strickland scene. And this is what will kind of explain why maybe Doc paying off Buford wouldn't have worked. Uh, because when he's coming into town to do the the duel with um, with Marty or with Eastwood, uh, before they get into town, he's interrupted by Strickland and his son again. And he's saying, turn around, Tannen. You're, you're not coming in here. You're not wanted. And then he says, uh, it's all right, all right, uh, Sheriff, whatever you say, I'll turn around and I'll go back. And he basically fakes going away and, or no, no, what is, he actually pulls the gun on him and he's threatening Strickland. He's saying, you know, I will kill you right now if you don't let me pass. And Strickland backs down and he's like, all right, Tan and go. And Strickland starts riding off. Buford then shoots Strickland in the back, even though he did what he said, which is that that deleted scene would kind of explain that. Yeah, it, it, that would kind of explain why doc can't just pay him off because the whole reputation is shot in the back by b for 10 this is just what he does doesn't matter what you do he's still going to kill you anyways uh and then you have another sad scene where you have like so this marshall strickland dying and the son's holding him dying in his arms he says remember that word son discipline he goes i will pop i totally get why they dumped it from the movie but uh we just get this one camera from strickland otherwise um so uh buford comes in here and he's smuggled one gun in they say oh but you only got one shot in that i only need one uh, I love the, my favorite Buford moment is this scene coming up both parts of it. So he holds the gun to Doc's back and this is where he's a scary villain because this movie's not a complicated like part two, but you get these little moments where they throw complexities in there like the whole thing with Clara. Oh, she was supposed to be dead, but now she's alive. Um, and, and this part where he says, Tan in your early, which I remember laughing the first time I saw that in the theater, but then you realize that's not a joke because Buford says, uh, yeah, this gun has one shot in it. It's going to be a very slow, painful death. By my estimation, he'll be dead by supper time on Monday. Mm. And you realize, no, this this probably is where he killed him the first time around. 
Uh, and that throws this complication in the plot where you're like, wow, anything could happen here. Uh, Marty uh, has a quick scene here where he meets Seamus and Maggie again, and he takes a piece of pie and he has a pie plate that says Frisbee on it. He goes, Frisbee, far out. And I love their yeah. reaction. With like, I don't know what the meaning of that was. It was right in front right of him. In front of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he throws this pie plate Frisbee, knocks the gun out of Buford's hands after Buford tries to rape Claro. You always got to rape in a Back to the Future movie. It's not uh, Back to the Future without some rape. Bob and Rob love their rape. <laughs> but uh, this is where Buford gets to be like funniest in the entire movie. <laughs> where uh, Marty goes up to the lighten up jerk. And Buford has the most confused look on his face. Like, he looks at his guys like, what did you say to me? And then he bluffs like, mighty strong words. <laughs> uh, and then uh, he he calls him yellow or whatever. Uh, Marty's I, getting upset. Nobody he, calls me yellow. So he calls you yellow. I always thought he called him yella. Because the way he comes like, what are you, yellow? Like, 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 I thought like old I'm, yellow. That's the way they say it. Yeah, yeah. but like I always thought it was like old yellow, not, not like yellow. But um, yeah. It's like, how did he see that movie? It's 1885. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he challenges Marty to the, the duel. Marty says, uh, oh yeah, sure, whatever. He says, uh, you and me will finish this right now. And this is hands down. I still will like laugh so hard. I'm almost in tears every time I watch this. I quoted to Jamie the other day and I was like almost in tears quoting this where he's like, ah, uh, not right now. He's got our guns. Like I said, we'll finish this tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, we're robbing the Pine City stage. And what about Monday? Are we doing anything Monday? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, Monday's fine. You can kill Monday. I'll be back this way on Monday. <laughs> so good. Uh, and then that exchange where he says, oh yeah, uh, what time? High noon. Uh, I do my killing before breakfast. Seven o'clock is eight o'clock. I do my killing after breakfast. Uh, and then of course he says to Doc, don't worry, we'll be gone. But then it's like, yeah, but what if the train's late? What if there's some delays? What if Biff's early or Buford's early or whatever? Um, uh, we'll, we'll get uh, uh, just uh, up to the end of this night here. I, we'll get up to where Doc gets laid. That's the important part here. Um, so uh, Clara and Doc, they they go off and look up at the sky with the telescope. He repaired it very quickly. I guess he did say he'd have it fixed by the festival or whatever. Uh, and this is where he starts talking about, oh, do you think we'll ever go to the moon? He starts quoting uh, from the earth to the moon. She recognizes it and he's like, you know, Jules Verne. Now nothing gets Doc hornier than Jules Verne. That's what we discover because that's where he really perks up. Oh, and he talks about being a little boy here too. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, he says, uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea. When I read that was his first boy and she goes, but you couldn't have, it was released 10 years ago. She, that's what he should have been like. Yes, I know. That's how young I am. This is what age yeah. does to people in the blacksmith industry. Uh, but I'm he's like, only, oh, I just I'm only 20 years old. I am 21. <laughs> uh, uh, Marty or Eastwood's actually my uncle, believe it or not. Yeah. He's my granddad. Uh, but uh, her saying, he says, I've never met a woman who loves Jules Verne. He's getting really horny. I never met a man like you before. And you have the kiss scene here as that you get the, the shooting star. I, like you, always assumed that's where it ends. But then as I got older, I'm like, wait a second. His reaction the next morning, he definitely did get laid. Um, I'll, I'll stop it there uh, uh, before. We, we'll, we ought to stop it on the highlight of the movie. Christopher Lloyd, 51 years old, for the first time as an actor, got to act like a man who got laid. I I, I wonder what that's like. I, I'm trying to learn from Christopher Lloyd what it'll be like when I get there one day. I mean, it's a great love story, but I mean, great in Titanic, Colin Hilding. I mean, <laughs> okay, I love here. Um... Yeah, I love his, like, inventions, the refrigerator. Like, just, I love the whole thing where you basically see it, like, creating just, what, one ice cube. God, imagine if you had that in your house. You guys would be fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the train driver. Like, oh, yeah, well, you could get it up around there. God, tarnations, why would you need to be in such a hurry? 
Well, that's all you could do it if you get rid of the carriages and put it hot. I'm tan, fire as hell hot. Like, I love this guy. <laughs> and I love the handkerchief on his face. Like, you know, just yeah. so, like, oh, so good. Um, but, yeah, like, the... The, actually, one thing that was pointed out in the everything or nothing, everything or nothing, everything wrong with, is I love the fact that like, has Marty ever ridden horses? How is Marty so good at riding horses all of a sudden? Like, here he is going to like the uh, the ravine, and then he's like getting old Clara off the thing, and then he's just like freaking should be in the Olympics, you know, the Kentucky Derby really? or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I doubt that because because again, if you were to say the fixed timeline eighteen eighty or nineteen eighty five. He probably got horse lessons at the country club or whatever, but this is the poor Marty. He is still the kid who grew up with loser George McFly. There's no way he learned how to ride. I picture him like Marcus Brody at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's like, <laughs> follow me. And he's like flopping off the horse. Yeah. Which also I'm surprised when um, Clara's ho- uh, cart goes off the cliff, there's not an explosion sparks. Um, <laughs> sure George Lucas would re-edit that if this was his movie. Um <laughs> But I just I love like the chemistry between these two, between him and 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 Clara. Just like just the awkwardness of the house. And again, like it's like the here goes Ben bringing up Casino Royale again. But like it's just like this is where I can buy a love story so quickly because oh. like there's such a chemistry and like awkwardness. And anyone who's normal, unlike Colin, who has just met <laughs> someone and fallen for someone, like the whole idea of love at first sight, like it's not love at first sight, but there's always like a thing like that, that's quickly there. And it just, it feels natural. Cause again, I should be nitpicking this movie in less than a week. They're falling in love, but like, it's, it's just the way that it is done and mattered. And it's a good point you make about the big bang theory. Cause what other real like geek movies or geek, I mean, revenge of the geeks. I mean, the eighties had a big thing about geeks, but that was always like the geek getting with the hot cheerleader. Like that's what it was you never really had two geeks falling in love, you know, and that's kind yeah. of, it's, it's, you know, this is more attuned to what we're like than, you know, Revenge of the Nerds, cool people. Um, I love them. My favorite bit of the model bit is the way that Doc's going like, kick to the DeLorean and yeah. back up the train <laughs> into the point of Pushing no return. <laughs> up to 88 miles per hour. I just love the way like he just says that. And it, we're only missing the <gasps> moment. Like I always think it like catches fire, but it's like, kick to the DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way that he just like, he just overemphasizes it and everything. And it's, but it's also like, it's a rehash of the scene from the first movie because like, in that scene, yeah. you've got Lorraine coming on to the house and then with Marty and then like Doc's in the background being all like awkward and now it's all Marty in the background being all awkward. So it's kind of like, you know, different series that Doc's into it whereas Marty, well, maybe wasn't into it with his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, such an 1885... 1880- no, he was. He was. Such an 1885 thing where it's just kind of like, oh, everyone's going down to the local festival. Like nowadays, it's like, oh, I'm going to leave the house. Oh, I'd rather yeah. stay in and watch something. But... um. Is it just me? Here's a weird thing. Apparently, this is the episode of Bringing Back Mighty Ducks. When you see, like, you talk about the, the, the derp face on Christopher Lloyd, when you've got Michael J. Fox standing next to the clock, does he not look like Emilio Estevez? Like, look at that picture yeah. of him standing there. He looks like Emilio Estevez. Like, I'm like... Yeah, Gordon and it's Bom- not just because they're both short. You're right. Yeah, Gordon Bombay's in this movie. Uh, For yeah. God's sakes, I'm not Michael J. Fox. Emilio Estevez, good Marty McFly. That would have been good casting. Yeah. Yeah. At the worked. time period, he was age appropriate. Everything. Did Michael J. Fox and Emilio Estevez ever do a movie together? Where's that? Six I degrees will of bacon. find out. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I'd I'd I'd, I'd work on that. Um, when are we getting Emilio Estevez on this show? 
<laughs> best thing best thing he ever did avoid season two of the mighty ducks <laughs> so just, yeah just saying that have you found I'm, I'm i'm looking this up while you're looking it up we're probably going to find it at the same time aren't we my oh, you're gonna find it quicker right? jay fox find link uh, no, they've not done a movie. Michael J. Fox was in Stuart Little 3, Call of the Wild. When are we doing that? With Tara Strong, who was in Dear Dracula with Emilio Estevez. So, close. Emilio Estevez made something called Dear Dracula? Uh, apparently. Michael J. Fox made something <laughs> called Stuart Little 3. <laughs> uh, Gina Davis. Oh, and uh, what's her name? Hugh Laurie, right? He was the, the dad. And that yeah, stupid, and the, annoying the kid little, from Jerry Maguire. Yeah, that annoying. Louise used to love those movies. I remember watching one going like, yeah, these are fine. Um, it just reminds me of. Di- I watched uh, the first one just because of Michael J. Fox. I'm going to be honest. It just reminds me of Mr. Doubtfire, Stuart Little, one of the most noble characters in yeah. all of literature. Um, well, that's something I got to show to my kids. They would like that. What, Mrs. Doubtfire or Stuart Little? Oh, Stuart Little. I'm sure they'd like Mrs. Doubtfire too. Yeah, stick with Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just the the just the do 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 do. I just want to listen to it right now. Like when I when I downloaded the soundtrack, I just love it. And again, but. <laughs> it's so like it's different enough from double back that you got to really listen to it to realize that yeah. it is double back um but yeah rapey old uh buford here as you do um but yeah i i, I do kind of like the yeller what are you yeller but <laughs> I, I love all the people who come up to marty and are just sort of like you know like oh here's my gun like oh and I'll be taking it back from you. See, if you do lose, yeah, like I you love, lose, I'm taking it back. I love all these like uh, people. But the one thing that I think you can really tell, like when you're talking about sort of the camera setup, the bit when Seamus is talking <laughs> to Marty, um, you can really tell that Marty is superimposed. Like they haven't done a yeah. very good job, I think, with that sort of. Uh, I think it's the the difference of the the second movie, I guess, filming on a set versus. There's so many variables in part three because they're outdoors and everything that you can't control. Well, I think like I know Rob is sort of because uh, we're on first name terms, Rob and Bob. Um, <laughs> I know they said they don't want to go back and retouch and if they could, they would do things. But this one just seems like you just up the contrast or something. It's just the brightness. Mm-hmm. Just the, it's It looks faded. Like it just you can tell that's that's the issue. You just need to adjust the contrast a little bit. And I think you've got it fixed. Um, but it's a nice little scene. Yeah, and like again, I don't know why it took me so long to realize that Doc is getting laid here. I thought he yeah. just kissed her, and then that was it. But no, like because this, I love the whole contraption with like the breakfast and everything when Marty's waking up, and you're like, oh, yo, dog, Doc, you like? Do you think that's the first time Doc's ever had sex? Probably. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past. I think that he's the type of guy who does have. He has no interest in women because otherwise. It wouldn't be so preposterous when Marty's basically implying, you know, oh, this could just be love at first sight. With a legal uh, woman as well, not like an underage teenage boy uh, where you've got clothes (laughs) for them. So what we're saying is there's hope for Noah yet, um, basically. Uh, But is this where you stopped? You stopped around here, didn't you? We don't talk about Michael J. Fox's bum here. Um, That's where I'm about to get to. Yeah, but like it's, I don't know, good for Doc and Clara having sex. Um, Tender lover, Doc. He'd be a very tender man. Oh, guarantee. Minute man. I mean, not done. Yeah, this this one would be. I mean, uh, I I don't know about uh, the 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 original timeline doc. Nineteen fifty five is going to be very different from this nineteen eighty five doc here. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, so now we get to Jamie's favorite part of the movie, Michael J. Fox's butt cheek hanging out of the back of his pajamas. Uh, a bit underwhelming, and, if you uh, ask me. I was expecting to be better from old MJF. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Jamie. I was, I was really hoping for a better butt than that, Mike. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he sees his gun here, and this is where he's playing. He 
Clint Eastwood. I love that he's still in his pajamas, but he's got the hat on and the gun belt and he's quoting lines. I mean, of course, he's not quoting lines from West. He's quoting from Dirty Harry, which is like, you know, regular cop movie. But still, the, uh, you talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Go ahead. Make my day. Uh, and then he's going out walking through the streets and this is where everybody's offering him, oh, uh, why don't I measure you for your suit? And uh, uh, here, have a cigar. You know, or why don't you take this gun? Uh, and then the guy comes back. He's like, I told you I don't want to buy a suit. He goes, no, no, this is for your coffin. Yeah. Uh, when he sees Doc creepy. coming in, he's very creepy. I've seen him in something else before. I don't know what I've seen him no, in. Nightmares? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was last night. I didn't sleep. It was up three in the morning. I couldn't get back to sleep. Why is he so uh, creepy? He's just like, hello, sir. Would you like a suit? Because he's an undertaker. I assume that's what they were. It's like the wrestler, right? I mean, if a wrestler, the undertaker, there's like a zombie. This guy's the real life. Why did they turn the undertaker into like a biker for like a season? That was dumb. That was, yeah, that, that was horrible. He's riding down on a motorcycle. He came out to Limp Biscuit too. Like, yeah. do you picture anybody of the undertaker's size and stature having Limp Biscuit as a theme song? Yeah, that was weird. Uh, anyway, Wrestling Oz coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> you got Billy Garcia on. We got it made. My, my, uh, my, but, again, uh, my, does Jamie like wrestling? My sister and her husband are like, they went to uh, Melbourne. They had a, a WWE thing at the MCG and got like 100,000 oh, people because yeah. it was like the Undertaker's like last thing. That was and, like a pay-per-view thing. Yeah, yeah they, they went to that because they're they obsessed with the Undertaker. And like, I loved wrestling oh, as wow. a kid, but I stopped watching it just. I was watching the Stone Cold era and I think just before yeah. John Cena got in, I stopped watching it. But um, yeah, anyway. Jamie, Jamie uh, she, just, she doesn't really care for wrestling. She watches it to see shirtless men. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> her favorite wrestlers usually be the ones that are the most attractive. Uh, but so uh, like her. <laughs> you know, who would have thought? I know. Uh, that's, that's unusual. Anyways, uh, so uh, this is where he finds Doc, who's clearly still head in the clouds from getting laid. Uh, isn't it a lovely day? <laughs> he's sniffing his flower. Uh, he's saying, up tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need a musical number. Uh, so um, he, he, as they're having their argument here, I, I love that he lets it slip about that. Oh, you can't, you know, get all upset every time somebody uh, says you're afraid or calls you a chicken. That's you get an accident in the future, which is the first mention of this, uh, you know, since the first movie that there was this accident. So well, what happens with my future? And it's like, Marty, not everybody can know about this. Um, and... Uh, uh, they see the tombstone here where he says, oh, look, it's the tombstone from the picture. And they said they look at the picture. And this is that other uh, very simple plot in this movie. But I like the little twist of, oh, well, Buford comes in and you could have actually been dead at this point. And now we got this woman who was supposed to be dead, but now she's alive. And this is the third part where they look at the picture and, oh, great, we reversed it. You're no longer dead. He's like, but the tombstone's still there. It's just the name that's erased. That could be you now. Uh, and that that definitely still carries a lot of tension. Um the uh, 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 yeah, he's basically saying like I could be the one who lives now, and you could be the one that is, that's dead. Uh, he tells him you're gonna have to tell Clara goodbye, uh, and he, he says no, I want to stay uh, back. I think this is where they're loading it onto the tracks here, uh, the Lord. And this movie, just like the first one, it's like it just reaches a point where you assume there's got to be so many more scenes before we actually get to the train sequence or like the the mm. shootout, and it just happens because he wakes up the next morning. He's like, no, we got to go back. And then they're loading the door on the tracks. He goes, I had a change of heart. I actually want to stay because I really liked having sex. Uh, and <laughs> <Accurate>. <laughs> Women don't look at me this way back in 1985. <laughs> We'd all be doing this. <laughs> but uh, this is a really good dramatic scene here. And this is what Zemeckis and Gail said that they they wanted to do this movie where they're, they're, they're turning it on its head. Doc is now the one who's not thinking clearly. And he's saying, no, I, 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 this is what I need to do. And Marty's like, 
start thinking as a scientist, you know, what's the right decision up here? Marty is the one who says, again, what's right in the audience's face, take her with us. If you leave her here, you're screwing up time more than if you take her with you. That's all there is to it. Mm. Uh, but uh, but again, Doc's not thinking straight. Marty is still a 17-year-old kid. But I really love this uh, just a dramatic scene here. So he goes off to say goodbye to Clara. Um, he uh, uh, tells her, oh, oh I, I can't tell you why, but I have to break up. You know, you got to be honest with me. All right, I'm from the future. And he gives this speech. And, and like this would be played like it's a joke, but he's actually legitimately just trying to be honest with her. And then she gets upset because she thinks she, he's using Jules Verne against her. I love how she slaps him and it's a, I've heard some whoppers in my day. <laughs> I love those, those little funny dialogue. We were quoted with like a, uh, what in tarnation? Like those things. Like you don't hear people speak like this in today's day and age. Um, she slams the door on him. I, just the sad moment where Doc leaves the flower on the windowsill. She used to see her collapsing in the bed crying. He goes into the saloon and he, he orders a drink. And the bartender's like, oh, you remember what happened on the 4th of July? Uh, and then he tells him to leave the bottle. And then when he, you have this guy who comes up who's talking to him. So this is this guy's only in this scene and then the train scene with Clara later on. Uh, another bit of trivia I didn't even realize until I read it while I was watching the movie the, uh, just yesterday. This is based on a real-life guy. Now, he's not identified in the movie by name or anything, but he's got this wire that he keeps like tossing around. So this is uh, a guy who became famous or i guess made his fortune selling wire got into the steel business made an even bigger fortune in the steel business went on to get in the gasoline business and became the founder of texaco which of course texaco mm. has that presence mm. in all the back mm -hmm. to future movies so I, I i've seen this movie dozens and dozens of times and there's just robert speckis and bob gale wanted to have fun we're going to throw this Texaco reference in here by having it be this guy mm. and he's got this wire that nobody's going to know this unless you read it in a trivia book at some point no um, but uh <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> and not the cool type either <laughs> nerd that doesn't uh, but, get laid nerd <laughs> uh, pre back to the future 3 doc brown nerd <laughs> uh, but I, I love doc's line here where he's saying uh, oh don't worry there'll be other girls this girl was one in a million one in a billion one in a googleplex <laughs> what is that even a real number a googleplex I think it is uh, they say something about Google. Oh, you never that's know. why they call it Google because it's like a certain number, like it's more than oh, a okay. trillion. Yeah, no uh, Googleplex. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Nerd. I <laughs> <laughs> you just killed Colin Hildy. <laughs> oh. oh, wow! I've got random facts on steel and, and uh, Texaco ownership. You don't yeah. Googleplex. Everyone knew that about Google. That's why it was called Google. I, I just like... didn't occur to me. It's kind of like, is that ZZ Top in the <laughs> ZZ Top beard in 1985? Just don't think about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they have a mention about you know what the future brings. I could tell you about the future. Uh, we do get a couple shots here, like Buford waking up saying it's early. Oh, no, I'm hungry. Marty waking up is like, oh, such a good sleep. No, Doc, where are you? Uh, when they cut back here, it's the next morning, and these guys <laughs> still... <laughs> no. Oh. Colin. This gets to me. It's such a great love story. Uh, the, these guys in the saloon are just laughing at everything he says. And it's just, uh, so what you tell them? Nobody has horses in the future? It's like, no, we drive around in things called automobiles. So like, well, if everybody has one of these automobiles, what? Don't, don't they ever walk or run? Yeah. And it's like, yes, but for recreation, for sport. Run for fun? What kind of fun is that? <laughs> um, I, Marty coming in here uh, where he's like, Doc, we got to go. Uh, it's like back to, he even has the line. All three of these movies have that line back to the future. And doc like, right. And then just before they leave, he downs the drink and passes out or the bartender's like, no, Emmett, no. Um, 
I love that. And they have multiple times. Because even before Marty comes in, you have those guys saying, how many of those drinks has he had? He goes, none. That's his first one. He hasn't taken a sip yet. He just likes to hold it. And then even when he passes out, you get like uh, uh, Marty here. It's like, how many did he have? And he goes, just the one. He goes, just the one. <laughs> like, I'm just shocked. Uh, they, they, they see Buford uh, coming up uh, as the the clock's like five minutes before eight o'clock or whatever. And he says, or I think it's 10 minutes here. And he says, uh, in about 10 minutes, he'll be waking up. He Make some wake up juice. And I, I actually try to analyze what it is. It looks like one of them is a pot of coffee. There's Tabasco sauce in there, hot sauce. I don't even know what the other stuff is. Toilet water or something. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, they're throwing together this wake up juice and I'll just how elaborate it is where they, they have the funnel, they pour it down his throat. Now step back. Uh, and then all of a sudden he gets up and it yeah! <laughs> dunks his head in the trough and he passes out and he says, Oh no, that was just a reflex reaction. He'll be up in a few minutes. Um, when, when Buford's outside and this is where it becomes like full fledged Western, like it, it is directed so well. You feel like this is a Clint Eastwood movie is yeah, come on out Eastwood. It's eight o'clock. It's not eight o'clock. It is by my watch. Uh, and then he starts doing the counting. Another one of best Buford moments where he's, um, so I'm not really feeling good today. I think I'll have to forfeit. And Buford, forfeit, forfeit. What does that mean? Hey, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> oh, it means you win that fight. Hey, he can't do that. Hey, you can't do that. <laughs> and then when he's counting, I'm giving you the count of 10 to come out here. And he goes, five, six. And he looks at the guy and the guy holds up seven figures. Seven. <laughs> Doc finally comes to. Uh, they're oh. like, oh, do you have a back door in this place? And he goes, yeah, it's in the back. I love, I love that it. line. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's in the back. I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone. Like, I never even realized if that's supposed to be a joke or not, but it's like, but it, it always makes me laugh. Like, of course it's in the back. I wrote that down. I just, I was like, I love that. But it's like, do you have a back door yeah. somewhere? <laughs> yeah, it's in the back. Yeah. Uh, so they, they go out the back door and uh, Buford sees him. They all start firing. Uh, another great reveal here is they're taking cover where Marty dives into the room and you see, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a boiler or a stove or something like that. The cover come off, which is of course is going to be his bulletproof vest later on just enough so that you catch it. Like, what is that? And you're going to remember it later on. Um, he eggs him on. He calls him a yellow belly uh, uh, as he's basically threatening to come out or there's a shoot doc. Uh, he's uh, saying, forget about Marty. Just go. Uh, this is where we cut to the train. This is where the guy, the Texaco founder or whatever is, uh, uh, talking to uh, the guy next to him saying, oh, that guy was so heartbroken. What was that girl's name? Kara, Sarah? And they're like, Clara, that's it. And then she turns around. And I love the way she described I don't even know the, the exact lines. Of the way she described it, it's like, uh, uh, a tall, strapping, handsome uh, man with long, flowing, silvery, blonde hair or whatever, or white massive hair. Massive dong. Like, yeah, massive dong. <laughs> Definitely had never been laid before. <laughs> uh, and I love this. You know him. And she says, Emmett. And she pulls the thing on the train. The whole train uh, comes to a stop, gets off the train, goes chasing after him. Uh, you have this great reveal where they're, they're about to shoot Doc, and then Marty comes out. Uh, let's settle this now. Uh, you get the classic Western standoff, which again, it's it's filmed like for real. They're not treating this like a science fiction comedy version of it. This is like real dramatic Western thing. And uh, when Marty just takes off the gun and throws it down and he says, I thought we could settle this like, man, you thought wrong, dude. And he shoots him. Uh, I always get a laugh just out of like the way Thomas F. Wilson does this this reaction where he's like, <laughs> hey. oh, I, lo I, love he's like, I love when he's like, hey, he's gonna like, yeah, it's like, out of the back, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, goes up to Marty, and this is where we get the call back to the Clint Eastwood movie, uh, from the last movie, where all of a sudden he gets up and he's like, what's going on? And he tries punching him, and he hits the the bulletproof vest, he takes it off of the, the cover from the thing he's using, bulletproof vest, hits him over the head a couple times, which he definitely killed Buford Tannen by doing that, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I do wonder how this changes Buford's reputation. If he's like the fastest gun in the West, you know, does 1955 Biff just have a reputation of being like, oh, these Bufords are all cowards. They're all losers. Or he probably just recovered from this quickly and people forgot about it. Uh, hits him into the manure. Of course, we have to have him go into the manure. And this time it's green. Oh, uh, <laughs> a little bit more disgusting this time around. Uh, wow, I'm, mine can be. Uh, I, I'm not. Uh, depends on what I've eaten. Depends on my mood, I guess. Blue cordial. If the mood strikes me, blue... sometimes I like to pinch out a green one. <laughs> I don't blue, know. Blue cordial always made my poo green. <laughs> there's um, uh, what is it? I think there's a certain cereal that I remember my mom bought us once as a kid. Um, it was oh yeah, gummy bears. You know, they made like a gummy bears cereal once as a kid. And remember, my mom saying like, I don't even. She probably threw away the rest of the box. Because it made all of our poos purple. <laughs> like, I, I've seen green before. I've seen even blue, right? But, like, purple poo? Like, she threw that box away and said, we are never buying this stuff again. I, I feel we've had this conversation on air before, and that's sad. Uh, <laughs> 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 should be a one-time conversation, and yet here we are. Yep. This is where Lavender covers, like, yeah, it was definitely back in Terminator Salvation. Oh, God. 2018. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very meta on this show. We're going to repeat the poo jokes. <laughs> um, whoopee. Uh, um, and, and then when they look at after he he beats him here, uh, they look at the picture and the tombstone disappears. Now I do wonder, like, somebody's gonna buy that plot. Like tombstones fill up. You basically go from one to the next. This would just now say, I don't know, Greg Smith or yeah. or <laughs> well, something like it. Noah they, Groves. They broke. No, they broke thing. this tombstone. But the in the picture, it's an empty plot. Yeah. You would see some other tombstone there. Like it's not like they're like. Oh, we really were hoping that either Emmett Brown or Clint Eastwood would die. Let's just skip this plot. Let's move on to the next one. No, Christ, um, and no. who who paid for? Yeah, uh, Anthony Rocky. Uh, yeah. The uh, uh, as they're they're riding off in the sunset here. Yeah, I love the the moment where you just Seamus like the way Michael J. Fox just does this thing where he's like he holds up his fist like, hey, buddy, uh, like, like, hey, way to go, champ. <laughs> yeah, he gives him the gun and he says, uh, keep it. It's worth uh, however much money. And he's maybe I'll trade it in for a new hat. He goes, right. <laughs> and then look out for that baby of yours. Uh, you're right. Like Seamus is such a small character, but he's so much fun. Uh, and, and I think that the 19, uh, 2015 stuff was all just done as like such an over the top joke. Mm. Uh, that it's kind of nice to just see somebody playing dress up and it is just like a, uh, just a regular dramatic role. Um, they uh, take off just as Clara's riding in. I like that little timing thing where you see them ride off and then almost in the same shot, Clara comes in, she goes into the lab and she, uncovers the De the, the DeLorean or whatever, the, or like the, the model of the DeLorean where it has time machine. Why Doc felt the need to write time machine on yeah. it? <laughs> I guess him and Marty definitely knew. Um, everything else here goes pretty quickly. I mean, so basically the train sequence. Uh, now this this music, like it's on the soundtrack, it's three parts. And what always frustrated me is I had like uh, the original soundtrack where they're out of order. It's like the second track on the CD was whatever the title was train part two and then you get like train part three and train part one was like at the end of the cd which made no sense but you play these three back to back it's like this this massive suite to like a great uh best music maybe in the entire series uh i love what the the, the grab onto the train which by the way some stunts obviously have to be done but uh like by stuntmen but it's actually michael j fox and christopher lloyd who ride up to the train and grab it in fact even mary steenburgen said that when the shot where she rides up to grab onto the train she says she literally had to ride up and it's her hand who grabs the back of the train. It's only when the, the cut to the shot where she pulls herself up that it's a stunt woman, but hmm. they had to learn how to do this for real. Um, another trivia bit, uh, Clara's dress. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch this now, but 
the the color changed because the, the design was so specific of having to be this bright purple. And they didn't realize that like a couple hours of filming in the sun and this thing basically turned pink. And so throughout the course of filming this entire train sequence, which took several days, they had to keep making the dress every day. They're like, this thing turned pink. Like you got a backup. Okay, I'll give you the backup, but I'm going to have to make a backup to this backup because every day we're going to film and by lunchtime, this thing's going to turn pink. So hmm. they had, I don't even know how many of these dresses they had to go through. Um, I love, maybe the second biggest laugh I get in this movie, aside from Buford's uh, stuff uh, during the, the, um, the, the earlier scene at the festival is where they get up and you see that the tra- our fa- our famous cra- train conductor here is this a holdup? And they sort of look at each other like, it's, it's a science experiment. <laughs> That's uh, now this tr- this train was real, and this is the trivia I said that actually ties back to the first movie. In the original first movie, we talked briefly about how the climax was supposed to be them driving the DeLorean into a nuclear explosion, uh, or originally it was a fridge. Which, by the way, I didn't even mention on that episode. I found it after the fact that I watched more of the the making ofs that. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the reason Steven Spielberg put the nuking of the fridge in that movie was a nod to Zemeckis and Gale because he remembered the original script of Back to the Future, which ended with the fridge time machine being in the middle of a nuclear explosion. So when he made Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which he also was like, this is going to be taking place during the same time period, I'm going to throw this little joke in just that they'll get where we nuke a fridge. Now nuking the fridge has become the most famous thing ever. Spielberg even says on that, like I think it's Spielberg even referencing and saying it, and that little joke that I did has now become the most hated thing in movies. Wow, that's <laughs> so, cool. But the other part that was uh, deleted for budgetary reasons was during the ch- the, ta- the the town square chase sequence, uh, right after the "Give me a milk chocolate" scene, where Marty get makes the skateboard. The way that sequence was supposed to end wasn't that shot where he runs over top of the car and the crash in the manure truck. It was supposed to be Marty skateboarding right across a train track right before a train came, and then the train comes and Biff has to slam on his brakes and he just misses him. Hmm. While they were scouting that. They realized there was only one like actual, I guess, era specific that didn't look like a modern locomotive that they could use. And there was only one, you know, a rail that it ran on, which was out in the middle of this desert. So when they got to Back to the Future 3, they'd already done the legwork. They knew where they could film this. They knew where this last existing 1800s locomotive existed. So this locomotive is real. The only part where it's not real is where it goes over the cliff at the end of the movie. Otherwise, everything you're seeing is... The, it is an, an 1880s locomotive that's still in existence. I don't know whether this driver's real. I'd like to think he is, though. Um, but yeah, the science experiment line. I love that one. Um, uh, he, when he, they, they set the time when Marty gets into the DeLorean and Doc's still in the, 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 the what do you call that? The engine. Um, the end, uh, let's just call it the engine. The locomotive. Engine? The locomotive. When he's, yeah. In, yeah, when he's in the locomotive. Uh, when he's in <laughs> he says set it for October 27th or whatever at 10.05 a.m. or something like that. Like, again, like it doesn't make any logical sense why you would not set this in the middle of the night. Yeah. You're just asking for people to be uh, witnesses to this or to kill somebody who's crossing that train track Yeah, you know, at whatever time of the day where there's no train coming by. Um, but still, uh, it's fun. Uh, when Doc's starting to make his way out to the train, this is where Clara comes and she pulls the horn. I love some of the stunts they have here, like Clara getting blown apart when that the first explosion happens, the logs that he treats, the first explosion, and you see the sparks and she flies back. And goes, golly! <laughs> like yeah, because she's got to like, you think she's about to swear. She's like, golly! Yeah, exactly. Tarnation! She just had sex. She should be saying dirty <laughs> words. Oh, that was a whopper. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the part where Doc's coming out, I I just remember even seeing this the first time, the tension of her yelling Emmett, Emmett, 
And in the background, you could see her, but like Doc can't see her because she's too yeah. quiet. She blows the horn. So Doc uh, has to get her. I love that look on their her. faces. They're like, what's going on back there? Horns being blown? Yeah. Uh, and uh, when when he's trying to get back and then uh, the, the boiler's about to blow, even just Michael J. Fox, the way that Michael J. Fox can just sell the, the drama of this, just with these little lines, the, the, the boiler's the third log's about to blow. And when the thing blows, the entire boiler blows up and Claire's like flying through the air. I love that thing where she's like literally flying, hanging onto the railings. Uh, Doc uh, asks him to pass the hoverboard, which you get this nice stunt. You'll never make it back in time. Oh, it's only shot. We're going to have to take her with us. Hoverboard comes back. Doc grabs her just in time, but then he rides off in the sunset. Just as they're coming up on the uh, the, the end of the track, Marty closes the door, get to 88 miles per hour, go right across as the, um, the, the, the bridge is about, they're about to go over the bridge. And then we get that locomotive going off, which... Ugh. I mean, that was done as a model, which... Uh, are you groaning at that? Because you know, I just hate explosions with sparks. Ugh. <laughs> well, I mean, there would be sparks. I mean, there's there's a boiler in here, and, and those logs probably still can catch fire. Nah. But I, what, what I'm getting at is just how realistic this... This looks like you drove a train off a cliff. I mean, um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which came out last year, like, they they couldn't do it for with a real train. They had to build an actual working train to go off of a cliff like three times. They built three locomotives so they could get a shot of a real locomotive going off a cliff. This is a model, but when you see the behind the scenes pictures, the the model of the train is the size of a real life minivan. So this model train is like six feet high and then they got the DeLorean on top of it. So I, the effects look fantastic. I mean, you know, I sparks don't aside. I, I, I think it gets ruined when they add the explosion over the top of it. I like it's like I complained about this in Star Wars. Like it's just it's always been an irk of mine when the Death Stars blow up and then you've got fire with these added sparks. Like it just looks cheap. Yeah. And like that's that's what annoys me about this. Like have the train going over the cliff in the model because when you see it get destroyed, it looks great. Like, it doesn't have to explode. I get it. It's a movie. But, like, to me, you go over the top with the weird-looking explosion, then the sparks. It's just, it's just always irked me. It's one, my biggest gripe about all the Back to the Future movies is this explosion. Uh, I, I think that it looks... Uh, okay, up to the explosion, do you buy... Like, did you think that this was a real train? Yeah, uh, up until that, I'm on board. It's just, it's just that explosion that annoys me. Mm. That's why I joked before about when her cart goes off the thing. I'm surprised I didn't add it there. That is literally the only thing I'm complaining yeah. about. <laughs> um. So, yeah, he gets back. Uh, I love when the, the time machine, the DeLorean, comes down the train tracks... And uh, you see him going right past that car of people who are just waiting there. They're, the way they're looking at him, he just waves like, hello. <laughs> uh, and then a train's coming. Uh, so he has to quickly get out of the DeLorean. It blows the whole thing up. There's no sparks there. No, it's true. just a car being broken to pieces. And, and there's gasoline in that tank, that quick spark. That thing could have blown. Um, but then you would have killed the conductor of this locomotive. Uh, so, uh, he runs back to pick up his truck and this is where you get Biff. I love, I love this little moment with, with watch it butthead as he's taking the stuff off his truck. And he, or, or I think he said, Hey, butthead. And he's like, watch it, Biff. And, oh, Marty. I'm so sorry. I, I, I absolutely love the, the wimpy 1985 Biff Tannen that we get here. Uh, and especially like, you're going cowboy, huh? And then right as he's, uh, uh about to leave, you get, um, uh, uh, Biff against it. I really like that half Marty. And then he's like, Thanks, Biff. Uh, now, the, when the family comes out here, um, I don't know if you ever picked up this, but I've never noticed it until now. Mark McClure, who plays Dave, his hair has gone very gray since yesterday, yesterday morning, nice. when he was having breakfast at the table. Uh, probably something you only notice when you're watching it in high def, but like, yeah, he's <laughs> definitely got a lot more gray hair here. Uh, we didn't even talk about in the last one, the reason why um, the, the, the sister, Linda, wasn't in part two. 
it was because at the time they were filming part two, she was pregnant and then she'd had her baby. They're like, well, we got to put you in the third one. So she comes back for this third one. That's the only reason she actually wasn't in the second movie. Uh, but then they made sure she was in this one here. Uh, of course, you know, George, not Crispin Glover is just standing in the background here as everybody else comes out. Um, he goes, he picks up Jennifer. Now, this is the trivia with the only scene that they filmed during production of part two. And it was just because we've got this one house with the swing. It's the same reason why in Attack of the Clones, they filmed that final shot of Revenge of the Sith, the, the Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru with the baby in the, the sunset. Because George was like, why am I going to fly an entire crew out here for one shot? This was the only location that repeated from two to three. So like, okay, we're going to do a nighttime shot of putting Elizabeth Shue on the swing. Let's get that junky car out of here. Let's take the bars off the windows. Morning comes, we get the shot of him in his Western outfit picking her up here. Uh, they're in the car and she's uh, uh, talking about this weird dream she had. And um, uh, then uh, when he uh, drives past the sign for Hilldale, he goes, this is where we're going to live. Oh, I mean, we might live one day. That's because it wasn't a dream. Flea pulls up. We got to have a Flea movie on the Oz Network. Uh, another Flea one. And, and he's like, I, I kind of wish Flea would do more acting. Like he's definitely an over actor, but like he's an intense guy. The way when he's challenging him in the race, what are you chicken? And he's, he's like getting, he's like revving the engine. He's like, <laughs> like this guy is really coked out on set. <laughs> give it away, give it um, away, give it away now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when they speed off, Marty, of course, goes backwards. Jennifer knew what was going to happen. And this is when she realizes, oh, we changed the future. So she looks in that fax, the year fired fax erases. They go, they see that the train uh, has broken apart the DeLorean. He says, this is all that's left of it. Uh, and then he picks up the picture. He says he's going to miss Doc. And all of a sudden, the 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 whatever you call it starts coming down the barriers, the, the rail crossing thing. Right. There's nothing barrier. there. <laughs> the racial barrier segregation is back. 1985 <laughs> fashion, the Reagan era. Uh, but uh, th th there's nothing there. And all of a sudden, they get blown back through the air. And you get the the steampunk engine here, the Jules Verne type engine that shows up. Doc, I do like that they actually bothered to age Doc again, like put some of the makeup back on him, like the old age makeup back on him, even though it's unnecessary. Uh, and he's saying, meet the family. You got Clara here. You get introduced to her sons, Jules and Vern. Uh, and of course, the famous thing here is the younger son, which is Vern. There is a oh, shot God. where so he's bad. pointing down and he's he's mouthing something <laughs> as he's pointing down at his penis, <laughs> which of course, uh, it's I think the, the actual kid has come out and said, Oh yeah, when we were filming this scene, I kept having to go to the bathroom and Robert Zemeckis just said, if you have to go to the bathroom, give me a signal. And one of the times, who knows why they decided to keep it as that shot in the movie. One of the times when they were in the middle of filming, he's pointing down saying, I need to go pee pee. Oh, uh, funny. <laughs> which looks like a creepy kid pointing his dick saying, hey baby, look what I got here, Jennifer. But even before uh, he does this, these kids are creepy and scary looking. And if you just watch yeah. their facial expressions, they look like they, there's not something right with these kids. And like, I just, yeah. how does that shot stay in the movie? Because once you see it, you never, every time you watch this scene, you are always looking at that kid pointing at his dick. He's like literally going like, he's going like, come here. And then he's like pointing yeah. at his dick. It's so <laughs> freaky. It's like, there's another, uh, you want you want something worse than that. What you need to do is you need to watch, even just look up the YouTube video of it. The movie that Michael J. Fox was f famously filming when he, when they were making Back to the Future, when Eric Stoltz was hired before he got on, was the movie Teen Wolf. Mm. And that's basically a movie about a kid who turns into a werewolf and then wins a basketball game. <laughs> of course, why not? Uh, at the end of that uh, movie, there's a, a shot where the camera pans out as all the people in the stands are cheering. And there is a guy that snuck out. He actually undid his pants and you can see Far away, you can see his penis flopping out of his fly 
during the, the, the closing of Gabon. Yeah, it, but this is something that somehow made it into the movie. But yeah, anyways, I love this final scene between them, even though, again, it logically doesn't make sense where Jennifer's asking, like, why did this fax erase? He goes, because the future hasn't been written. Nobody's had, you know, make it make it what you will. The future was written before. It was just written differently. All that's happened is you have changed one future and you're probably going to get in a fight with needles to school or something. And I was like, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's like, it, it, it's this great moment. It's this great way to end the movie. The future is not written. You know, make your own future, make it a good one. Uh, he gives him the picture. Uh, and then he says, where are you going now, Doc? Back to the future. And he goes, no, already been there. And then you get this hilarious thing of the train converting the hover thing. And then this train flies off in the sky. And then double back plays. Um, uh, complaints aside about how it doesn't really make any sense. Uh, perfect way to end this trilogy in the most cartoony way possible. And you want to know that Doc and Marty got to see each other again. It, I remember how upset I was as a child seeing this at the age of eight or nine or whatever I was. And seeing Doc riding off me like, I can't believe he's never going to see him again. So this is a happy ending. It's ridiculous and it's fun. I love it. Fun fact, I actually always get my penis out in every single episode. If you watch back every episode of uh, The Oz Network, you've just got to watch carefully. But it's very small. So you've got to like, zoom. that's why we don't do video episodes. Collins was like, Ben, just put it away. Put it away, put it away, put it away now. Um, do you like the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Um. <laughs> I think that I've talked about this with Jamie. I have no problem with any Red Hot Chili Peppers song, except that they are like the most overplayed band out of the 90s ever. Jay, I was I was trying to play Jamie some U2 earlier today. And she was just complaining about how bad U2 was. So I started playing a song she wasn't familiar with. And she's like, oh, I like this song. I'm like, yeah, it's just because you're not sick of it. You hear it enough that you just are conditioned to, I don't want to hear that anymore. And Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of like with me. I, I don't mind any of their songs, but I will usually turn the channel if a song comes on the radio just because I've heard this so many times. I'm getting sick of this U2 vitriol that are on our podcast. What's wrong with U2? Um, hey, we, we, we back U2. It's Noah and Jamie that are the problem. Um, there's a there's a great account on Instagram. It's called like uh, Meme This Song or something like that. And basically they, they've got like an AI generator where they always call it like Ruin This Song. And they will get like, they'll literally get like, I don't know, um, a Justin Bieber song, but they'll do it in like a 1950s Howdy Doody style. And it's really, really mm. clever. So they literally do ones where they're like every Red Hot Chili Popa song ever. And they literally got this like song and it's just g- generified. It's like, oh, man, I'm going to mention California. Do, 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 mention California again. <laughs> like it's just so standard. And then there's like a Pearl Jam one where it's like, That's oh, yeah. It's hilarious. Even one of, I think Adam Sandler, uh, he once did like the Pearl Jam uh, thing where it's actually subtitles and nobody can understand the words that I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's weird out when he's doing um, Smells Like Nirvana. And we don't oh, yeah. know what we're singing. A <laughs> yeah. uh, garage band from Seattle. Uh, anyway. It's the music equivalent of like the, the family guy, something, 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 dark side, something, something, something complete. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I could have seen, I got free tickets to Red Hot Chili Peppers this year, but on the day I just like, yeah, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I have nothing. They would have been them. nude with socks on their dongs. Yeah, Post Malone was warm. I was more into Post Malone music. I wanted him to see do the the Sunflower song from the Spider Man movie. Anyway, um, yeah, Michael J's Fox's bum, underwhelming, honestly. Um, but still, all right. Um, good for him. So yeah, he's um, got one. He's got one. Uh, unlike me, I wish I had a bum. <laughs> back and then legs it's my 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 bum um but yeah the whole the whole bit about like doc wanting to say which i always didn't i always got confused at the end when marty like goes back and then doc stays like i'm always like confused why marty doesn't fight that like he just kind of sees doc and clara flying off on the hoverboard and he's just like oh well 
and it just goes like, you yeah. know, I guess point of no return and everything along those lines. I mean, there are l- the little things you can nitpick about this movie. I mean, they've somehow converted the DeLorean's wheels into rail tracks in less than a couple of days. How do they get this out to the railway tracks without getting spotted? Like things like that. Like, and no one questions this. Um, I do like that bit, like the, when he's telling Clara the truth about it and when he gets slapped and he's just like, but it is the truth. And it's like, oh, and then mm-hmm. I, I, I love the whole meme and joke about Doc, like getting drunk. Like, how much has he had? It's like, he hasn't had a sip. <laughs> and then he like has one sip. And yeah. What is it? What is like? Oh, just your usual then. Oh, how about a sarsaparilla? Now you want to talk about Jamie being an old person. I, I love sarsaparilla. I've loved sarsaparilla since I what was like. What is it? Uh, it's what you guys call root beer. Um, oh, so okay. Basically in Australia, we call it sarsaparilla. And I remember like we have like a, like you go to a bar or a pub here, just like your family style pub and you get what's called a counter meal. So like it would be a birthday, like, oh, let's go and get a pub meal. And it would just basically get like Nora and I had a couple when he was here, like a palmy and get a salad, just get a Mm -hmm. standard family counter meal. And my thing is that when I, whenever I would go to these things, I would always get a sarsaparilla as a kid. My parents would be like, what the fuck, sarsaparilla, are you like 80? Because this is like an old person's (laughs) drink. Really? Um, like, I mean, the, it's uh, funny because, like, over here, it is a kid's drink for the most part, you know? Yeah, but like, like Casper will always order it, which is mostly because in Charlie Brown, that's what they have. But that just shows, even in a kid's cartoon, that's sort of the go to for kids. It's, it's a very American, like, I think the root beer version of it is very Americanized. But in Australia, like, mm. like, there is, you can get things called root beer here. Like, it's kind of like how, yeah. like, we call it tomato sauce, but you can still buy tomato ketchup. The excuse here is that tomato ketchup is thick. Whereas tomato sauce is a bit runnier. That's how they try and sell it. Um, but no, he like sarsaparilla is very much like an old person's drink. Um, but anyway, I love like, do you like root beer slash? Because it's almost got a licorice taste oh, yeah. to it. Yeah, it's actually, I, I'm not like huge into soda, but that would be one of my go-tos. Actually, funny story, completely removed about uh, Back to the Future. But uh, we, I may have even told this before. We had a, um, a cat. My go-to snack was, all right, if I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to get some dill pickle chips. And then some Barks root beer. And this is the cat. Oh, I did, I think it did show to this. The cat that loved mm. any bad breath. First thing, the, you would wake up in this. You'd wake up because this cat would have its snout in your mouth Aww, as, as you're snoring. But so we're like, anytime you have anything with like a strong flavor, a strong smell, you got to breathe in this cat's face. And this cat, uh, nobody who not watch the video will see this, but you know, Ben's reaction will kind of tell you. Uh, I'm like, come here, Tucker, or whatever. And I'd eaten some dill pickle chicks and drank, drank like a couple of sips of this Barks root beer. And I breathed on the cat. And the cat actually went like this, this look of euphoria. Like, and it was suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like, well, horrified look. And this cat learned what root beer and dill pickle chips look like. So if I pulled it out, I came home from the store, this cat would actually run upstairs. It was that terrified of the smell. Oh, <laughs> kitty. Oh, I love cats. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I like you call them floats, like root beer float on an A and W. We had A and W in Australia for five minutes and tied in with KFCs and they disappeared. But I know that's a big thing in Canada. But like in Australia, for some weird reason, we call a float a spider. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. So like hider. Yeah. So like if if you say in Australia, I want a spider, it's what we <laughs> refer to as a float. So like that's not a spider. This is a spider. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like we have hot chips and like we don't call them fries. We call them chips and potato chips. Like we're a yeah. weird country. But um, the fact is, uh, sarsaparilla, like a root beer float, is a good thing. When first time I ever went to America and Canada and I saw a root beer, I'm like, oh, I've got to try. Is this exactly what sarsaparilla is? I had a sip. Like, yep, this is just sarsaparilla. Anyway, Ben teaches you the facts on uh, <laughs> the Oz Network. Um, I love like just drunken doc. Um, and just this whole last sequence, like it's, it's maybe arguably the 
the least memorable of all the final sequences, uh, like the final fights in all of the Back to the Futures, but it's still good. Like, I like this. Wait, are you talking about the the the, the stand showdown with the, the showdown? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I think it might be my favorite of them. But like, well, I mean, no, George and Biff, I guess, in the first one. I I just think I don't know. Like, I I just feel that it just of all, but I don't know. I still I still like it, but I. I, like, is it a bit of a plot hole when, like, Biff gets, uh, Tanner gets arrested and the, the lawman comes in and is like, you're under arrest for the, the robbery of the whatever stage, coach. And it's like, well, yeah. you could have prevented that, guys. Like, you heard about that <laughs> yesterday. So, like, if people died in that, that's on your hands, Sheriff. They, they literally told you at the festival. <laughs> I remember watching this for the first time and, like, thinking, like, fuck, Marty's dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I'm like, oh, my God. But no, it's one of my favorite, like, moments in the entire trilogy is just, Tanner walking down the street going, ha ha. And he's like, I wish we did video because he's kind of got that look in his face, but he kind of like bends down and crouches and he's like, hey. And he's like, yeah. hey, <laughs> your man killed another one. Do, 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 do. Um, it's a great scene, but I love the manure. I hate manure with like the green <laughs> stuff in it. But again, talking about like changing history, like, I mean, calling it right now so the whole timeline not also be altered again because i mean this guy killed people so there are people that he killed there's people that he affected in hill valley that are no longer affected now because he's been arrested so again um not like obviously we didn't really talk about it in the first one but the whole implication was that by george standing up to biff and then changing the future that way but it all changed with the positive i mean maybe sometimes like going back in time and writing a wrong doesn't necessarily uh you know is a good thing because who knows? Like, I mean, if you did kill baby Hitler uh, before Hitler did bad things, maybe there could have been a worse Hitler and then we could have been even worse. Maybe it's kind of one of these things where it's like, well, maybe we need to keep Hitler because what Hitler did isn't <laughs> as bad as, like, other Hitler. I don't know. Like, so, Ooh. I mean, just saying, just, just pointing out, you could stop 9-11, but maybe then there could be a bigger 9-12. Like, I don't know. Um, so like the the whole plot of the family guy, um, story when they go back in time to stop 9-11, like they literally talk about that. Like, I'm like, you have to let 9-11 happen because otherwise this will become worse. Um, but yeah, the the last sequence is like, great. Like I, I like, there's little things that are kind of a bit like they're clearly done for plot's sake. Like let's add green, yellow and red things into things. Kind of makes no sense, but like, it's, it's fun. Like it adds a bit of drama to it. Um, it's great action sequence. The The music to it is fantastic. Everything about it. Um, going to say this right now. Better chain trace than Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Yeah, I would go with that. Yeah, no, good, right. I agree. Um, I agree with myself that I made a statement. Yeah, yeah you're right. I agree. <laughs> I, what a smart man that Ben Waterworth is. Ben's like, you know, I just want to say... I think it's better than Indiana Jones. I concur. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> I don't know if this is like a, a, a sad fact that I admit, but like literally, because I live by myself, so I'm kind of used to it. And like, I've always talked to myself. It's just a thing. Like it's, you just kind of, not like crazy. Like, hey, how's your day been? Good, Ben. How's yours? But it's just kind of like, yeah, maybe I will do that. Or like if I'm working, like when Noah was here and I'd be like saying stuff out loud, I'm like, don't worry, I do this by myself. So if somebody sends me a message, I'm like, oh God, really? Why do you want to do that? You talk to yourself. I, I do, do it. That. But there are literally- You know what I do? If, if, if I see, I will respond like before I'm typing something. So I'm like one of these weird people like, and then what we should do yeah. after that. <laughs> I, I, I am a talk out loud person as I'm typing. Yeah. I definitely do it. But like, there'll be times like, I'll be like done with this recording. I'll be like, do I want to edit this now? Or do I want to have a shower? No, I have a shower. And then I'll literally go, yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm agreeing with myself. Like, I literally do that. That is no word of a lie. I actually do that for some reason. I don't know why. 
Um, yeah, the the whole bit about him like going back at like ten in the morning. I love the like waving at the bit. The the one bit I will say that's a bit like cheesy looking. It's very Thunderball when that train's like coming towards him and he's got the reflection. Of the thing is like going so yeah. fast, and somehow Marty gets out of it. I always got sad in this scene too because yeah, I get sad about the doc bit, but I'm like, oh no, the DeLorean! They can't time mm-hmm. travel anymore. And I like I, I love the spinning number plate kind of a homage to the first one mm-hmm. there as well. It's really good. Um, yeah, everything here. Like I've always liked the conclusion of this. Like. The whole um, revert the bit when like he's like reverses out from the Rolls Royce, but as they point out with the everything wrong with video, so this is meant to ruin Marty's life. Now I think they sort of say that it's because it damages his hand or something like that, so he can't pursue his music Rocket, career. Yeah, but like I don't know if it's ever implied if like this is also like a legal matter because they're, they're like well mm. like this Rolls Royce has sued him because he was like drag racing. I'm sorry, as everything wrong with points out, this Rolls Royce is just pulled out into a street without giving way. So if they any- had the green light. They waited for the green light. <laughs> yeah, like this Rolls Royce is in the wrong. Um, so anyway, um, but yeah, I love the I love the fact that, that nobody's come and cleaned up this DeLorean, even though it's been like an hour uh, removed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've always loved like the returning train. It's kind of like it's a cool thing, even though like there are, as they point out and everything wrong with like, is this the worst thing you could possibly have as a time traveling machine? And why does he not fly in and just do it? How does he know Marty's going to be there at that exact point in time? Mm-hmm. All the little things well, you can question about it. Yeah. Like he even says, Oh, I had to come back for Einstein. Right. Yeah. Um. So you came back for Einstein. What earlier in that day, keep your train parked somewhere. Yeah. And then just go stand there and wait. Oh, yeah. Imagine this, like Indiana Jones and Last Crusade where they think Indy's gone over the cliff and then he comes from behind. He's like, whew, yeah, that was a tough one. Have that be the doc just walks up behind him. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a real shame. That nice DeLorean. Because it would make more sense that if like Doc arrived at the moment Marty arrives back because he knows he's there at that time in life, right? So that would yeah. make more sense if the train coming towards him is Doc. I don't know. Anyway. Um, I, uh, going back to the creepy kids, like the, the creepy thing about this fucking Vern kid is a bit when like Doc's like, oh, and this is Jules. And the sort of kid comes in and is like, hello, I'm Jules. And then the way that the little blonde pointed his pee pee kid, he kind of got like, again, you can't see this. He's kind of like, like he just yeah, has this, this weird stink face he has. And, but if you like, because uh, you just can't not watch the faces of these kids. And if you look at little blonde kid, the whole time, like every take, he's kind of got these like, <laughs> yeah. Like he just got this weird look on his face. Like this kid was hanging holding his for, bladder for a long fucking time. <laughs> it is seriously the funniest, almost the funniest moment in movie history. If you do not, if you until you see it for the first time, he like because like you literally think at just one point he's just going like come here, but like he's literally like come here and he's full on pointing to his dick. Yeah. Like Read this one. It's like and like I'm sorry. I did not buy that he was going to the toilet. That's fucking bullshit <laughs> right there, mate. Like sorry. If you're going to the toilet, you're like, "Oh, gonna gonna go to the toilet." Like why would you be going like, "Bob, penis, got to pee?" <laughs> like I reckon there was some dodgy shit going on on that set. <laughs> <laughs> All revolving around Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> but I but I do I do like you're right. Like it, it it ends on a very happy note and the whole notion of time travel and like it means your future is what you make of it. Like it's like ah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. like ah, uh, so good. Double back again. I was listening to that before we started recording. Such Looking a good high, song. low, don't, don't know where to go. <laughs> we do like Noah and I did karaoke a few weeks ago. It was fun. I was very drunk, but um, we need <laughs> when we we promised that when we all get together one time, we're going to be doing karaoke. We need to put this on the list. No, I'm like, yeah, hey, double back. 
<laughs> this is from the wrong century. Great song, great movie, great trilogy. <sighs> and great Scott. Um, anyways, we also forgot that. They flipped the great Scott oh, and the, the beginning. Yeah. I mean, like, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So critically, we mentioned last week this actually did better than Back to the Future 2. So 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. IMDB, it's kind of flipped around where this is like a couple points lower than Back to the Future 2. Um, uh, some of the, the critics' opinions. Um, one here says the Back to the Future 3 draws the trilogy to a satisfying close with a simpler, sweeter round of time travel antics. A lot of the positive reviews here seem to just be saying it got the heart back. Like this one here, Kim, Kim Newman from Empire said the film restores the heart interest of the first film and has a satisfying, complete storyline. Uh, Leonard Malton gave it a positive review. Um, he said, uh, it was not better than the original one, but it was leagues better than the second. Uh, and praised Thomas F. Wilson's performance as Mad Dog Tannen. Roger Ebert was one of the few negative ones where he gave it two and a half stars. Uh, he said that the, the Western thing looked like a sitcom version that looks exactly as if it's built on a back lot somewhere. I, I'm actually going to commend them. Everything here was built for real. This isn't a back lot. This is, they went in the middle of the desert and constructed a town. Mm. Uh, so I think this looks, this looks really good. Um, he did praise Christopher Lloyd though. And, uh, uh, but then it said that the movie looks as if it's it could be the beginning of a continuing television series. Luckily, that wasn't true because the movie series ended with that. Zemeckis and Gale have both said, no, it'll never come back. There was a point during the early 2000s where I remember all these rumors started floating around saying there's a Back to the Future 4 being made. I remember and then that. it was Robert Zemeckis who said they can make a Back to the Future 4 if they want. They can make anything they want called Back to the Future 4, but we hold the rights to this story and these characters if they ever decided to make a movie called back to the future 4 it would have to be its own thing that did not involve any of our characters and it just was called back to the future 4 there's um a lot of people will make like fan edits on youtube and troll people like i remember before yeah. the friends ever did the reunion people could like splice up footage of all the friends out and like there's actually one which i watched last night which got to say it's it's a very well done trailer and if they were to do a back to the future 4 even i watch this one going like Okay, that would be kind of interesting. Um, but it was very much in the same vein of like the Ghostbusters with um, Paul Rudd in it. Like it's just, yeah. you know, but like it was very like they got some like footage of Michael J. Fox like talking about time travel in some movie or TV. Like it was very well done. But on the same channel, they also did a Bond 26 with Henry Cavill and it was just like terrible. So they, they did one. So that was good. And then as we mentioned, the animated series, which came out pretty quickly after this, only a year afterwards. Uh, and uh, I oh, think the 90s. to me... The coolest thing about the the Back to the Future animated series was uh, first the involvement of everybody. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale was like, we're not making another movie, but we'll we'll actually sit down and come up with the ideas for this. So they created the TV series. And outside of Michael J. Fox, the entire cast pretty much is in this. Uh, Christopher Lloyd was in the live action. Scene. Every episode would open with Christopher Lloyd basically doing a science experiment. And then the episode would close with him showing this is how that science experiment worked. And I remember trying out a couple of these things at home being like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, and then he also voiced Doc. Mary Steenburgen did the voice for Clara in it. Hmm. Um, and uh, Thomas F. Wilson actually uh, came back to do whatever. And every time they would go back in time, it would be another 10 that they'd encounter. Uh, so it had everybody ran for two seasons. I remember loving this show, but it was like it was very hard to find. It was on like I don't know, sometimes six in the morning or something like that. But uh, I was able to download it years ago and watch it. Like It actually holds up. It's one of the better like. You get all these cheap made uh, uh, a movie adapted into an animated series, and some of them are garbage. This one and the Bill and Ted ones were actually fun. I think it's the time travel stuff that works in it. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, let's move on to box office. So 
This movie is the lowest grossing of the trilogy. The only one I think that didn't top 100 million uh, domestically, 87.7 million dollars domestically. Uh, it came out on the Memorial Day weekend, so uh, for the the whole three day period or four day period, I guess. Uh, opens with twenty three million dollars, so down a lot from the basically box office was cut in half from the first one. Good boy, and I don't know the red. Well, a lot of movies out at that time, but like it, the competitiveness compared to what we had in November, because we went through those movies that were out in November, Back to the Future Two, and it was way more competitive. Uh, at the time this one comes out, though, uh, opens up uh, is really the only new movie, but it uh, knocks Bird on the Wire, a Mel Gibson movie, out of the number one spot. Pretty Woman was out at this point, Cadillac Man, Firebirds, but then you got Ninja Turtles, Hunt for an October. Tommy, uh, Joe versus Tommy Volcano. down. Yeah, well, and Joe versus Volcano, the, the first Tom Hanks big ride movie. So, yeah, it was competitive, but I mean, this is the opening of the summer movie season, which should be like the first big weekend. And you're doing half of the box office of what part two did six months earlier, when I think part two is more competitive. There probably is something to the fact that people, at least in 1989, didn't respond as positively. Because I remember that was the thing with The Matrix reloaded came out and did not get a great response and then when you look at the box office it was like again the opening weekend for reloaded was like over a hundred million dollars i think it was only the second movie to ever open or a hundred million and then revolutions was like 50 million dollars yeah. or something like that um which is probably one of the reasons why there for a long time you didn't have as many of these um you know, direct sequels like coming out only a couple months later uh but i mean overall does uh over 87 million dollars and then the final box office for the year it doesn't even crack the top 10, which is unusual. Mm. Um, it comes in number 11th overall for the year 1990, behind Kindergarten Cop, Dick Tracy, Die Hard 2, Total Recall, Hunt for October, Ninja Turtles, Pretty Woman, Dance with the Wolves, Ghost, and Home Alone, of course, was by far the number one movie Dance that year. Dance with the Wolves just doesn't seem to fit in that top 10. But I mean, I know it was a huge yeah. movie, but like... <laughs> yeah, although, you know, I'm, I'm saying maybe it wasn't as competitive as in 1989. I mean, 1989 is also famous for being maybe one of the greatest years in movie history, up there with like 94 for like how many great movies are out. But when we look at those movies that were already in theaters when Back to Future 3 debuts, three of them, Pretty Woman, Ninja Turtles, and Hunt for October beat it at the year-end box office. So, yeah, maybe they weren't new at that time, but three movies that were massive hits were already in theaters, so there probably was some competition that was going on. Uh, user reviews, one-star reviews here. Um, uh, this one, the old guy from Halloween 3. I wonder if this is actually the old guy from Halloween 3. I don't know who the old guy from Halloween 3 is. Uh, wrote, boring, and said, and why... I love it. Okay, the only thing in your review cannot start with the word and if it is the beginning of your view. And why does Marty's distant ancestor look just like him when his own dad, Crispin Glover, looks nothing like him? Stupid. Um, the This person, uh, Phoebe, Wall Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Oh, wow. Got some Jeez. famous people here. He's writing reviews. This is right in the middle of waiting for no time to die to be released. Phoebe Waller-Bridge writes, the whole middle section of the movie is pointless. Imagine if that really um, was her. Imagine if that actually was Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. Well, let's see what other reviews Waller Bridge wrote here. Uh, if I see a review of a Phoebe Waller Bridge movie, this is going to be amazing. Uh, Scream 2022, Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan, Tedious. Uh, Cry Macho, a Clint Eastwood movie. He should have played Philo Bedo for the last time. I don't even know what that means. Star Wars Rise of Skywalker is the best review ever. <laughs> is it other? Uh, the I meant Jaws the Revenge. This is Spielberg's worst movie. Spielberg didn't even make it. I'm say this is Spielberg's worst movie. Uh, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker uh, Pop Culture Terrorism <laughs> So good uh, Word to not yeah. describe the extent of the pop culture assassination That has occurred with this trilogy You're so right Phoebe Waller-Bridge 
Have you seen the, the yeah, actual Waller photo Bridge. of Phoebe Waller-Bridge at the beginning? Yeah, wow. Makeup my, does wonders to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She did not look profile. like this in it. This isn't what she looked like in Indiana Jones' uh, Dial of Destiny. This only <laughs> has six bad reviews, though. Only six one-star reviews. That's crazy. Yeah, this... Not yeah, an interesting film. I recently <laughs> saw this movie at the weekend and I just found it a bit lame compared to the other two. But what should I have expected? It was quite an old movie and stuff. I was also really disappointed in some bits <laughs> of like, for example, when the DeLorean gets hit. I'm going to try it. There's no full stops here. So let me try this. Uh, by a train, I mean, I just really hated the fact that happened and was so agitated that I just switched the movie off because I mean, come on, who would ever think of destroying that beautiful DeLorean at the end? Whoever's idea it was to destroy it at the end was an idiot of the century. I hope he, sexist, got fired from the movie industry and charged billions of dollars. Unrecommended by Woozy Moo. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm so hung up on Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who the only positive view on here is for Alien 3, which is like considered maybe the worst Alien movie, says, gets the series back on track after the silly aliens. Um, wow. Anyways, one star reviews. There we go. Um plot keywords uh we have steampunk month purple dress month um male time traveler month um uh well i'm sure there's a few one here fish out of water psychotronic film uh reference is there a reference to robert de niro in this movie i don't know oh when he the yeah it's a combination of that whole go ahead make my day he's actually doing the taxi driver bit that which is de niro it's not clint eastwood and then he does the go ahead, make my day. Oh, clock um, month. Um, I thought we'd have some crazier stuff on here. View inside view mirror. <laughs> oh, what do we got in that one? Uh, view inside view mirror month is Halloween, the the new one, 2018. Jurassic Park, of course. Edward Scissorhands and the Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, Tom Cruise movie. Well, I've got three here for you. We could have Long John's month for, <laughs> for Jamie, featuring the nun, the thing. Wind River and the Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Uh, we've got six-word <laughs> title month uh, featuring Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's got six in it. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. That's got six in it. Well, Dracula, Voyage of the Demet. That's only got five in it. Uh, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Okay, that works. Uh, but the one here's one for Ben. Uh, Abandoned Mine Month. Uh, I'm on board, so we can have The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Fast X, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and Silent Hill. Yeah. Uh, this isn't, uh, none of these are going to be worth clicking on, but I just want to end off on whoever made this list is very hung up on uh, the patriarchy here. We have back to back to back, title directed by male, hmm. title directed by man, and title written by male. Wow. Uh, why they stopped and didn't want to do title written by male and title written by man, I don't know. Okay. Uh, but two, yeah, two more. And made this movie. Two more. I did. Two more. And you can choose which one we look at here. We've either got Falling on Bed Sobbing Month or Peg on One's Nose Month. I, I want to go to Falling on Bed because that goes in perfectly with our waking up right scared on bed. All right. We have Witch Finder General, Back to the Future Part 3, A Face in the Crowd, or an episode of Guess Who's Coming to College. Oh, no, sorry. Saved by the Bell, the college years. Guess Who's Coming to College. <laughs> uh, there's only four on that list. So there you go. Wow. wonder why. Uh, this is foregone conclusion. We are both yeah. buying this movie. Yeah. Uh, we've already spoiled it. This is going to be, what, third in your rankings? You go one, two, three. Yeah, I go one, two, one, three, two. I was going to say you're one, three, two, aren't you? No, I'm, I'm one, yeah. two, three. Uh, and again, that's not to take away from this. I do very much enjoy this movie. But uh, again, it's... 
it's a simple one for me. I think I kind of even knew into this month, no matter what was going to happen, that this was always going to be my order um, because I love the first one, love the second one, love the third one, but if I have to rank them. Um, it's just the preference that they're in and nothing's going to top the first, although second one does come close because I am a big fanboy of the second movie and I do love the third movie, but I just like it least less than the other two. But again, just what a trilogy. Never touch it. Never touch Bob, Rob, by the time you pass away, just just don't let anyone, like, lock it in a vault. Just don't do anything. I'd like... I, I don't want Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd to die, but at least, like, when they're gone, we know that, like, whatever we're going to get is just not going to touch this. Like, uh, just just never touch these movies. Leave them alone. Stop it. Sorry, I was waiting for you to agree with yourself there. Um, and I agree with Ben. I agree. <laughs> uh, that's it. I'm actually proud of us. We came into this assuming this would be like Star Wars, where everyone was, like, four to five hours, uh, because we love it at that level. The first one was four hours, which was expected. Uh, we're going to have two sequels here under three hours. I'm, I'm proud of us, Ben. I'm proud of us too, because I think I set the bar high last week when I did it in like two hours and you 40 did. minutes. And then you're like, whoa, <laughs> Ben can do it that quickly. I think like, yeah, I mean, the first one's always going to be long. Um, of course it is. But um, yeah, I mean, nothing's ever really going to top our style. Even the Jurassic Park ones are a bit like that. We did the first one like four and yeah. a half, five hours, and then kind of, you know, obviously. It was like three, three. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I'm pretty, I mean, we, to be honest with you, we're going, we're ticking off a lot of these movies you want to do. I mean, next year, I know sort of, we talked about just kind of doing either the rush hour movies of you'll sort of raise the mummy movies instead. I'm going to fight for rush hour before we do mummy, but you'll probably yeah. out, overwin me on that. But I think like the, the, those ones aren't going to be as long. I mean, the mummy, I've only ever seen the first two. I've never seen part three and I've never seen the Tom Cruise one. Rush hours, uh, I mean, they're brilliant, but I don't think they're really movies that you're going to talk about. We're just going to be quoting them. It's just going to be quoting. Um, and we I, can add up all the, we, we, if we add up all the quotes we've had of Rush Hour over the last like seven years. Seven years. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Continue, Ben. I agree. I agree. It's that Washington Capitol shirt. You're choking. Um, but yeah, like it's it's just adding all the quotes up, I think, of what we've done over the years. But the, the thing with the Rush Hour movies, you're probably the same. The third one I've like seen the least. Uh, I remember seeing yeah. it in the movies and enjoying it, but like, I used to watch one and two to death, like when I was like a teenager. I would have maybe only seen three, like two or three times. Um, I mean, that also could be technically if we did hold off for two years because number four is meant to be being made and that will could be out in two years. Who knows? But um, Or we could do the pilot of the short-lived TV oh, series. terrible. Fun? <laughs> it terrible. Is. <laughs> I watched that in a plane one time and, oh, my God, it's horrible. Never, never watch that again. Uh, we'll be back to pretty quick reviews now. So obviously, twenty four is still ongoing, and Amazing Race is still ongoing. Uh, we might even have an interview coming up with uh, twenty four actors soon. But movie recaps: we're getting this close to Christmas, and we're going to do something I think we planned on doing two or three years ago. And it'll be quick recaps again. It's basically what are we calling? We're going to call horror it Christmas, Christmas Horror Month, Horror Christmas, horror Christmas month. month. Yeah. So next, well, uh, we'll say next Thursday because uh, obviously we've done this in three Thursdays, and there's five Thursdays this year in November. So next week on a Thursday, we will have our interview. So we're interviewing uh, Donny Maropis, who plays Abu Fayed in 24. If you're listening to our 24 coverage, you'll hear that. And then we actually will start our Horror Christmas Month on November 30 because there's four. That makes it four Thursdays yeah. before Christmas. But uh, do you want to talk about what we're doing? Because we will do them in an hour. Yes. Each week we'll be yeah, in we'll, an we'll, hour. We'll decide. And one of them is going to be really hard because the movie that I grew up absolutely loving. Um, I've never but, seen any uh, of these movies, by the way, ever. Which is crazy. Like, this is like you're saying, oh, I kind of saw Ghostbusters. I don't really remember. But Gremlins is the main one. Uh, and we were saying horror Christmas. A lot of these are horror comedies. But Gremlins uh, is the first one we're going to be doing. Uh, we've got... Uh, Black Christmas, which is it fits in. It's a Canadian movie. We're doing the original Black Christmas with Margot Kidder from the 70s, a famous Canadian film. Uh, and then we've got 
um, the uh, Jack Frost, not the Jack Frost with Michael Keaton, the one that we stumbled across while we were doing the Jack Frost with Michael Keaton. Uh, cheesy horror movie. I hope it's on levels with that Bill Goldberg Santa movie, uh, which was amazing. And then a movie that just came out last year, Violent Night with David Harbour as a killer Santa, uh, which it's 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 sort of comedy. It's sort of action. I actually would just say Violent Night is basically Die Hard with Santa. That's what the movie is. That's also I, I've seen... Movie. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen Gremlins, I've seen Violent Night. I haven't seen I I've never even seen the original Black Christmas. I saw about ten minutes of it once. I, I I'm just looking at the posters here and you tell me what orders and what ones you'd prefer to host. So Violet Night, it's David Harbour biting off a uh dynamite with a candy cane in his uh mouth. Gremlins, it's like little things sticking out of I don't know why I've never seen Gremlins. I just think it was one of these ones that my dad thought was overrated, so I never saw it. Black Christmas is a woman sitting on a chair with a plastic bag on her head a la Paul McCrane in 24 and a wreath around it. And the subtitle says, if this picture doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Um, And then Jack Frost is a skeleton uh, head with teeth and a snowman. And it says it's he's chilling and killing. Um, So, yeah, what order do we want to do these in? um, I mean, Gremlins is the big one. Do we want to save Gremlins for last? Oh, you tell me, uh, Colin. I would, do you want to host it? Yeah. I mean, what are you? I'm, uh, I'm, well, I'm I was going to say the first the, one. I'm assuming. Yeah, and I, I was going to say. I mean, I, I definitely would love to do Gremlins. Sometimes when it's a movie you love, I don't want that challenge. I'm like, don't make me do this. Uh, but I want to make sure I could do Gremlins. Uh, and then Black Christmas because it's a Canadian movie. I should host that. So I don't know. What would you rather do first? Out of Jack Frost, uh, cheesy straight to video Jack Frost or Violet Night? Violent Nights also, I guess the other. Well, I'm guessing I'm doing both of those, so they're the two that I'm hosting. I mean, Um, you you could you could fight me for one of them. Nah, okay, you host those two. That's fine. Well, let's start off with Jack Frost. Uh, All right, and then we can do then Black Christmas, then we'll do Violent Night, we'll land with Gremlins. Done. So we'll save the two big ones for last. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, we'll forget about this next week. But so we're starting off with Jack Frost. (laughs) So Jack Frost and Black Christmas we're starting off with easy. All right, and we're doing them in an hour. Simple. Okay. Yes. So Merry Christmas. Uh, We are here to scare you and terrify you and make sure we're done in an hour uh just like doc brown uh- <laughs> just like my my last two relationships uh thank you uh not wah 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 Max dawson <laughs> <laughs> so listen to whatever we have interviews 24 amazing race uh christmas back to the future just go back and listen to part one over again it was funny yeah uh, we're comic geniuses we really are. are my name is colin and toodaloo and my name is Ben Waterworth on the end of the episode. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.
Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs) 